Hey now, and Happy New Year. We are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That with the first edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast as we enter 2021. It's Tuesday, and you know what that means. We are here to talk all things WWE as we recap the latest and sometimes greatest from WWE SmackDown and Raw over the past few days. And it has been quite an interesting new year, to say the least, in terms of WWE, because you look, we talk about it every week, SmackDown trending in one direction, Raw trending in another direction. And I think the gap had been closed a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but it's certainly pointing in opposite directions, uh, at least this week as we enter 2021. We have an absolutely loaded show for you as we really begin on the true journey toward the Royal Rumble. We have to save the term road to uh, for WrestleMania, but we're on the journey to the Royal Rumble and it starts now lasting all the way through the end of the month with the Royal Rumble actually coming at the very last day in January 2021, which should be interesting. So let's get right into it, folks. You know what to do. Follow this podcast on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Also, head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review, start the new year off right, stop being marks for yourselves, go back to being marks for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, and help us Soar up those damn charts in 2021. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. But we're not here to talk about all of that. We're here to talk WWE. And to do that, I welcome in my co-host, Chris Vanini. You can follow Chris on Twitter, at Chris Vanini. You can also follow the Silver King, if you so choose, at Silverstein Adam. Chris, how was your New Year's? Let's start there. It was uh, pretty good. I mean, typically I'm uh, either at a, a bowl site, and that was not the case this year. So I was in the comfort of my own home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it felt a lot like, did you, I don't know if you saw that uh, Happy New Year skit from WWE during during TLC where 2020 was like that stinky green looking thing, and then 2021 came out at the end. Did you see that? Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> that was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And, uh, it was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen until the opening of Raw, but we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. So that that's kind of what it felt like going into the new year. So maybe that 2021 with those that big smile uh, uh, is a is a sign of things to come down the Titantron ramp. I have New Year's traditions, and I I know a lot of people. You know, their favorite holidays are Christmas or Thanksgiving. My favorite holiday. It's not even a holiday. It's just my favorite day to celebrate is New Year's Eve. Generally. And this year, not being around friends or family, not being able to go to a party, didn't really have the opportunity to celebrate it. But I have numerous traditions of things I do on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And I know that other people don't, and it sounds weird for me to say it, but I didn't get to do them this year. Uh, and, you know, it sucks, kind of. But on, and it's really, all, honestly, all food and alcohol related is, is really what it is. Uh, on New Year's Eve for dinner, almost every year, unless I'm going out, I make king crab legs, which, you know, are they're expensive and, and a lot of people go out to eat them. I like making them at home. Um, didn't get to do that this year. On New Year's Day every year, I eat a black and white cookie. I don't again, this is stupid. And it's it's just it's a good cookie. That, it's something that I've always done. It's a great cookie. Something I've always done. 
didn't have a black only cookie this year because I couldn't get one. So 2020 into 2021, not starting off um, in the way I would expect regarding that. But my other thought is, look, 2020 was such a piece of shit that maybe breaking tradition for one New Year's and New Year's Day probably isn't the worst thing. You want, you want to know what I had New Year's Eve day to eat for the first time? Uh, per the recommendation of this pod, I think I said. Oh, yes. We didn't talk about this. I had yeah, an right. Uncrustable. What are, what are your thoughts on the Uncrustable? They were delicious. I know, shocking, right? <laughs> I got the peanut butter and strawberry jam version, the one that I think you guys recommended. Yeah. Uh, and it, I, I thought you had to microwave it or something. It took me a minute to realize, oh, I just have to let this thing sit here and thaw out. That's the I, worst part about the Uncrustable. Yeah, you're just sitting there waiting for it. Yeah. But it really it is good. They do now, not sponsor the pod, but if they want to. Uh, look, Smuckers, open. you can hit us up. Like you, I, you can sponsor us. I'll eat one of those on the show every single time. It's it's so strange to me that from someone who has eaten peanut butter and jelly for my entire life, there, there has not probably been a week that's gone by, or at least not two weeks that have gone by in my life, where I haven't had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And for it to actually be good, it just, it remains shocking to me. Now, I've seen people that they don't want to wait for them to defrost. So they'll actually like throw them in the air fryer. See, the I, I see, I've heard a lot about air fryers. I do not have one. So I, I can't yeah, I don't have one either. That. I don't have one either. Yeah. Uh, or they'll throw them in a toaster oven or something. I don't know that I'm into that or that I would go to that length. But I will say waiting 30 to 45 minutes to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's really not ideal. My guess, I mean, look, these are, these are made for kids, right? Like we, it's obvious. So my guess is it's like the parent throws it in the lunchbox. It goes to school with the kid. By the time it's lunchtime, it's thawed out and ready to eat, right? Uh, but as an adult, I got to say, if they're on sale, I'm going to buy them. I will never, I don't think, buy them without them being on sale because I don't want them in the house. I'd make them, I'd rather make it fresh with like whole wheat bread and, and healthier peanut butter myself. But if those things are on sale, and which uh, Publix, and I live in Florida, Publix usually has buy one, get one freeze and and discounts, I'm going to pick them up because they're really good. They just are. Yeah, no, good recommendation from you and the various people on Twitter uh, who backed you up. So I did it. And it oh, I don't, I don't, I didn't remember that. But okay, that's yeah. Great. We we uh, had some we had some people on Twitter who told me to do it too. So uh, good choice. This is definitely an uncrustables podcast. The other thing I didn't mention about my normal food items, the one I did get to eat, I like making my own. You know, like cocktail franks where they come wrapped in something, right? Yeah. So. Uh, some people use bagels, some people use whatever. I use, uh, what are those called? The crescent rolls from Pillsbury. And I, I cut them up into thin strips. I wrap them around the hot dog, just like you'd get if you're going to a wedding, like a cocktail hour type of reception, anything like that. Um, I have those every New Year's Eve. That was the one tradition I was able to keep from a food perspective. Usually that's the appetizer. And then like four hours later, you eat the king crab legs. But regardless, I don't know why I, I really got into that. But happy New Year to everyone. That was really the point. Uh, it was a happy new year for me. Uh, it was a happy new year, it seems, for you, hopefully for all of our listeners. It seemed to be a happy new year for WWE SmackDown. I don't think the same is true about Raw. And that's where we're going to begin this week as we enter the main event. This is the main event. So we're going to start with Raw. And yeah, it is the new year. And yeah, we generally start this show on a positive note, but that's just generally because we've been talking about SmackDown first on this program, but we can't because the biggest news of the week in WWE came out of Raw Legends Night, 
And honestly, there's nowhere else to put this into the show. So I just want to start here. The opening of Raw on Monday night is one of the strangest openings to a wrestling program I can remember. What was that shit with the H phone? Who came up with that idea? The first Raw without Monday Night Football as competition in months. And that's what you do. Followed by that terrible New Day and Miz and Morrison segment. You decide, we're going to open up our first Raw of the year. We have legends all over the program. Rather than do Drew McIntyre and Keith Lee and like, and, and promote your WWE championship match, that's the main event, and good on them for making it the main event of the show. Rather than promote that match or show the stuff with Randy Orton and Alexa Bliss or have Randy Orton confront Ric Flair backstage or do anything that might get people to keep on your channel, you open up with the H phone and then the New Day Miz and Morrison segment. Am I wrong, Chris? But was that not, were you not watching the, the first 10 minutes of Raw and saying, what the hell am I doing watching this show? Yeah, you tweeted about it. And that was, I saw it. I was like, all right, so I'm not crazy here thinking this is absolutely insane and terrible. And it's it speaks to the larger problem when they do a lot of these Legends Nights, and especially this one, in that it was always set to be its own thing. And it just really interrupted what they wanted, what they were doing. And made no sense in its own. So, like you said, the first Raw without Monday Night Football, and that's how they started off. Just inexplicable. They could have started in so many other ways with with, with Charlotte Flair coming out with Rick, um, utilizing other legends that were there, and you know, having Hulk Hogan in the ring, doing the Hulk Hogan segment with Drew McIntyre. That segment that they aired later in the show, which we're going to talk about in a moment, that could have been the opening to Raw, where you have McIntyre backstage, Sheamus is talking to him about, about the main event, so you're promoting that there's a WWE Championship match. You're, you're getting that going. Hulk Hogan interrupts, and they do the what you're going to do, then they hit the music to the show, and Raw's off and running. And you're like, okay, this is great. Like That was a good use of Hulk Hogan. Instead, you get the H-phone. Like, I, I just, I don't, I want to see, I, I want to, I wish... Dude, I wish I was inside the creative. There's sometimes I wish I was inside the creative room. I wish I had a chair or I was a fly on the wall there where someone came up with that idea. And Vince McMahon turns around and goes, yes, yes, I love that. I can't find the sound effect that I want to play right now. Yes, I love that. Such good shit. Like, I want to I hear, I want to see that happen. I want to see that segment get approved for the start of Raw. It set the show off on such a bad note that there were a couple of good things, namely Randy Orton, that happened over the course of that show. But it was they were battling against themselves. They set a tone of a 0.0. And the rest of the show was trying to work up from that and make it anything respectable for over three hours. And I just thought it was so... It, it insulted me. That insulted me. There's something else that insulted me way more. But that insulted me. The H phone shit. The first segment were just like, you're going to watch our show or you're not going to watch our show. No, people aren't watching your show. Your ratings are at an all time low. You should be opening your show with your biggest stars, especially when you don't have Monday Night Football competition and you want to keep people watching. Th think about how last week's Raw ended 
in the various things we had coming into this Raw. We had Randy Orton may or may not have set Alexa Bliss on fire at the end, and we never got an update on that during the week. We have a championship match between two rising stars, and you're like, all right, there's like stuff I want to like get resolved here on this episode. And that's how they start you off. Like, it's just insulting. They could have even done like a, a preview of the show. Hey, coming up tonight on Raw, we got this, this, this. Like they do theme music. Yeah. yeah, theme music. Hulk Hogan comes out, cuts a stupid promo in the ring. Like anything would have been better than the H phone. It, it's one of the all-time dumbest things I've ever seen on Raw. It, it just is. And, and you have to think how they concluded the last Raw, the, the final scene, the first scene of this Raw, and the last scene of this Raw. And you're just like, if you put those three things together, you're like, why am I wasting my time with this three-hour product? When look, SmackDown's not perfect, okay? It did win our brand of the year, to my surprise, during our 2020 Getting Over Awards, aka The Meaties, right? But it's a good wrestling product. You can watch two hours of SmackDown, not feel insulted. You can feel entertained, and you can say, hey, there's stuff I want to watch next week. Raw is not that. I mean, there are certain things on the show that are okay, but largely it's a three-hour shit fest. And we just have to be honest about it. And look, let's move on because I don't want to just keep talking about the stupid opening because we have to talk about the stupid closing of the show. But before we get there, we got to talk about the best thing on WWE TV this entire week, which was the WWE championship match between Drew McIntyre and Keith Lee. And there's a lot of stuff that happened over the course of this show. They did not advertise this match in any meaningful way for the first 76 minutes of Raw. Yeah, I know Miz said something during his shitty promo and someone mentioned that there was a bottom corner graphic for a second during one of the matches. But neither of these guys cut a promo. There were no full screen graphics or reminders from commentary. There wasn't any video packages. There was absolutely nothing telling the fans or viewers watching this show there is going to be in the main event a freaking hoss fight. There's going to be two big meaty men Slap and meat, and you have to stay tuned for a WWE championship match that's going to open the first Raw of 2021. I'm doing a better job verbalizing it right here than WWE did promoting it for the first 76 minutes of its show. Until the 9.16 p.m. mark, we didn't really see shit. And when we got there, we finally saw McIntyre getting a pep talk backstage from Sheamus. Hulk Hogan was there with Jimmy Hart said he was Sheamus' number one fan, which made no sense, but okay. And how proud he is of McIntyre, the way he's represented WWE as the champion. That's good shit. I'm okay. That's fine. McIntyre and Hogan then did the catchphrase and the pose down. And I was okay with that too. I thought it was pretty cool. Again, that should have been how they opened Raw. Later on, you have Riddle come up to Keith Lee, gave him a pep talk, but Lee was as cool, cool as a cucumber entering the match. So Chris, what they actually did to promote it with those backstage segments, I thought was fine. I did think that they could have used a legend. They could have had Mark Henry or the big show come up to Keith Lee and say, as a big man, you represent us. We want to see you go in there and take the title. I don't know why they didn't do that. I don't know why they only settled on Riddle, despite them being friends. But I was just so disappointed with the first hour, 15, hour 16 of this show where WWE can't be bothered to promote its own champion in its own main event. Like, what are they doing? This gets to my biggest frustration with the idea of Legends Night. And sometimes with the, every time 
the recent times they do these things. And that is, there's no point to them. And, you know, they had, I think, Ric Flair, I think, give a pick for the match on, on a YouTube video, I think, that was up before the show. Like, how how do you not have all these legends just, like, give their thoughts and analysis of the championship match coming up later, just throughout the night. Every like, 15 minutes you talk yeah, to a new yeah, just, yep. just Yeah. Give me what Mark Henry says. Give me what Ric Flair says. Give me what Jeff Jarrett says. Just build this thing up. Like use these people to help other people. The problem is we do, they do these legends nights type of things and they're all just used for random comedy bits where people are standing around backstage and, oh, here's another legend who happens to walk up and then we have a conversation and then that's it. And that's the only time you see anybody. They don't, they don't use these, they don't use the legends in a way that rarely ever pushes the, the story forward. Well, what's especially stupid is they had all the legends come out to watch the main event. So by doing that, and, and if they had interviewed them backstage over the course of the entire show, you can then have someone come up and give a prediction. And then if you want them to interact with someone, like have Tori Wilson give her prediction. And then if you want Angel Garza to come interrupt her, okay, then you can continue and do a little funny side angle. That's okay. You know, or have Big Show do his prediction and then have Randy Orton come up and, and gaslight him the way he did. So it, it's just, look, Legends Nights in general are very difficult to pull off because you're trying to jam, as you said two times now, uh, legends into current storylines and have them make sense in the context of the show. And WWE uses it as a crutch to try to drive up ratings. I don't think that's going to work, by the way, this week. No, it, but, it can't. There, there's no way But what they did with these legends, what they didn't do, there is no way there's going to be that much of a, a boost. And if it is, it's only because there's no Monday Night Football. Yeah, that I agree. The only reason there'd be a boost is no Monday Night Football. But again, Who's who stayed tuned? If you're if you're someone who wasn't watching Raw regularly, who stayed tuned after those first, you know, 15 minutes or the first 30, even if you got through that match? I, I mean, I don't know. Like we watch every week because we watch every week. But people who don't, those casual fans, if you're turning that on and you're like, what, what is this? Like, what, what am I watching? They're not going to stay tuned. But but to my point here, Legends Night is difficult as it is doing it during a pandemic where you can't just put them out and have a crowd cheer them makes it even more difficult because at least you could have Tori Wilson run in to save a women's match and the crowd will pop for her and she gets to celebrate and she gets cheers. They didn't have any of that possibility. So literally the only thing they could do is have them stand around backstage. And that's really not a good use of legends. You said it, I said it, just interview them about the main event. Yeah. Have them and give their picks. And honestly, I, I'm someone. We'll get off this topic now, but I, I'm someone I who I hate that we're keep. I, I hate that this is taking up so much time, but it had to be said, man. Yeah, it did. I, I'm someone who got back into wrestling at Raw 1000. I don't remember. It was I think 2012 or 2013. I had not watched it in a decade, and I, I think I had briefly seen the WrestleMania Rock Cena match, but Raw 1000 is the first one that got me back in, and you know. That was used in a different way. It was a lot of comedy stuff, but there were things going on. There was a uh, a, a Rock versus Big Show match at the end, and, and CM Punk comes in, and it's they announce that Rock's going to fight him at the Royal Rumble, and CM Punk comes in, and it's whole thing. And you can make the case they did that with Goldberg, and we'll get to Goldberg later. But just this was this was a mess, and I got to say, 
I really, really did not like the idea of this Legends Night in general, bringing all these people, many of them old, many of them vulnerable to the coronavirus, all to Florida uh, to do this event, even if they all get tested and everything, and then all sit next to each other on the stage, not not socially distancing. Right. That just really made me uncomfortable on top of everything else that just was not good. And and again, it was all for something that I really don't think it will have impacted the ratings whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, if they were going to have them sit socially distanced and they were going to do a title change and they were going to all praise Keith Lee. I mean, look, there are so many ways that they could have done this Legends Night. Think about it like the Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre feud. And we're going to talk about this in detail momentarily. And I, I will get off of this, I promise. But let Randy Orton's a legend killer. So if Drew McIntyre at some point had gotten a rematch and all the legends were there to support Drew and then when Drew won, they were all there to cheer him. That's a good use of a Legends Night, right? Like, think about it within the context of your characters and your storylines. They didn't do that here. And that was the biggest issue. You mentioned it. I mentioned it. Lee, Keith Lee got a new kind of close-up ring entrance. And I don't know if that was just for this week because there were Legends on stage, but I liked it. He looked colossal kind of when they stuck that camera right in his face. But then, yes, we did see that all the Legends were on stage watching for a moment at least, that swerved me into thinking they might actually do a title change. Yeah, me too. But I realized it was probably more just because it was a WWE title match. You felt the same way? Like, for a moment, you're like, oh, shit, they might they might flip it here. Yeah. Yep, no, yeah. because because they gave him that entrance with all the legends behind him. I was like, oh, maybe maybe this will be like a little coronation. Just for a brief second, but but I, it did enter my mind. Yeah, it did for me as well. Now, let's talk about the match, because for all the criticisms we've given... And we will give very, very soon, I promise you. This match was a freaking banger. It just, it was incredible. So Keith Lee opens up. He pounces McIntyre over the barricade and got in a ton of offense. On his third try, McIntyre is finally able to belly-to-belly suplex Keith Lee over his head. Uh, McIntyre then grabs Lee off the ring apron, power bombs him through the announce table, but his back hit the corner of the table I think because McIntyre was legitimately losing grip because of Lee's size. I mean, he's a big guy to try to powerbomb like that. It was a brutal spot, but man, it was an awesome spot. They went to commercial and that was actually a good spot to go to commercial. Unlike most times the WWE goes to commercial during matches. Uh, McIntyre, we come back. McIntyre eventually hits the future shock DDT. Lee kicks out at two. I loved the, they showed a shot of Mark Henry, how proud he was looking on watching Keith Lee. I thought that really sold it. Lee then hits a Spanish fly off the top rope on McIntyre for a 2.8 count. Insane that he is able to do that. He came very close to landing on his head, but man, that was just an incredible spot. McIntyre then counters a spirit bomb into a spine buster and a jackknife cover for a two. Lee catches a Claymore cold, just grabbed McIntyre's foot. McIntyre was able to jump over his head and out of the spirit bomb then duck the clothesline, running the ropes twice, hits the Claymore for the win. Holy shit, was that a damn match. McIntyre dapped up Lee. He grabbed a microphone. It was awesome, and they could have ended Raw right there. They could have ended Raw with Drew McIntyre saying a couple words to Keith Lee. They could have ended Raw with Drew McIntyre saying, Keith Lee, man, that's the t- I've been champion for the better part of a year. You gave me my toughest test. Let's run this shit back at the Royal Rumble. They could have done anything coming out of that. 
and it would have been an absolute home run A plus because you know what we got? This is what we got. Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. Please, gently, gently. I'm delicate. That's not the drop I meant to hit. This is. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. All we got was meat. And as Samoa Joe would say. Yeah, the beef flew. The meat was on meat. It was it was as perfect of a raw main event as we could ask for. And Chris, I want to pause here because I want to say some positive shit about them. Keith Lee, great. Drew McIntyre, great. That match was great. Yep, 100%. It, it was everything it needed to be. Incredible athleticism between those guys. I mean, not just, I mean, Keith Lee doing the Spanish fly, like we know he can do that, but it's still crazy to see, but we've seen him do that. But Drew McIntyre is part of that as well. And he's an even bigger guy when you, you take in his height and everything like that and to do that flip off the top rope, uh, just incredible physical athleticism from them. And I love that it was a clean finish. And you know what? Keith Squeaky Lee is, clean. Yep. And Keith Lee is fine. And they told him afterward that he's fine. It's there's no shame in losing to the WWE champion clean. Like, I was so worried we were going to get some sort of interference or schmas or something to set up a Royal Rumble match of some kind, but we didn't. They gave us a straight-up match. It was a great match, great finish. Loved it. And speaking of the meat, you got a you got a quote tweet from Booker T last night. Oh yeah, you tweeted out a a, a gif or a gif of the of a bunch someone of someone slicing some brisket, and I said, and you tag yeah. Booker, and he and he retweeted it. Presumably, like from the stage, I think. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> he, he was that was like right after the show went off. He said, uh, "Just, just meet is what Booker <laughs> did. So it was a we we, we've had two. We've had two crowning achievements on social media for this podcast. One of them uh, is Dolph Ziggler. I mean, first the fact that Dolph did the zero point zero Mister Blutarski line uh, on TV during the pandemic was incredible. Dolph loved that that we tweeted about that, and now we got Booker. Uh, assuring us that no water, no bread, just meat is indeed the accurate descriptor of this Keith Lee and Drew McIntyre match. So that was nice. That was a small bright spot in what was otherwise a pretty dreary um, conclusion to my Monday night. This match uh, was great, man. I mean, it, when you grade it at whatever, it's an A, it's a it's a four, 4.25 star match. You know, it, it was on TV. You could probably go a little bit further. Uh, an, a couple of false finishes you throw in. But the fact that McIntyre needed to almost hit the super claymore, if there was even such a thing, the double run, you know, you would see Roman Reigns do that with his spear. Like yep. when you can't hit a single spear and put, put someone down like Lesnar, he runs the ropes two or three times. That's what Drew McIntyre needed to do to beat Keith Lee. It would have been really cool if Keith Lee kicked out of a single claymore. Okay, he didn't have to. He hit him right off the bat with the super one. Good to go. So this match was great. The main event is hot. McIntyre won, which we expected, but the focus is on Keith Lee because he was impressive. McIntyre is about to grab a mic, presumably me as a viewer, to put over Keith Lee as Raw is about to go off the air. And that's exactly how Raw should have ended. I'd have gone home happy. I wouldn't have cared that the other 150 minutes of the show were largely dog shit. There were some things that were okay, but it was largely garbage. But instead of letting me go home happy, Chris, what happens? Goldberg's music hits. And he cuts 
one of the dumbest promos that we have heard on WWE TV in quite some time. And that's including the suffering succotash and a lot of the dumb shit that Braun Strowman said over the years and some of the really bad promos they've written for women. Goldberg's promo, one of the worst, one of the dumbest I have heard on WWE TV in quite a while. He says that Drew McIntyre, lovable babyface Drew McIntyre, badass babyface, has everything it takes to be WWE champion except respect. McIntyre treats the legends like they're washed up, like he's better than all of them and none of them can hang with him. First of all, in kayfabe and certainly in reality, that's complete and utter bullshit. At no point has McIntyre ever done or said something like that. In fact, McIntyre had a buddy-buddy moment with Hulk Hogan earlier on the same show. And a couple months ago, he was literally saved by legends after defending them during the Randy Orton feud when you had that ambulance match. They came to his aid and helped him retain the WWE Championship on a pay-per-view. So the reasoning for Goldberg even being there is faulty and silly to the viewing audience. Now, if Orton was champion and Goldberg cut this promo, standing up for all the other legends, it would have made 100% complete sense. It actually would have been a pretty smart, decent piece of booking where you don't not only have Orton as champion being the legend killer and taking the title for McIntyre and being the ultimate heel, but going around gaslighting a bunch of legends on the show. And then you have Goldberg come out and challenge him for the Royal Rumble. That would have made sense. It would have been pretty smart. But Orton is not the champion. McIntyre's the champion. He's a good guy babyface who respects the legends. So it made zero sense. And it was incredibly stupid. Goldberg then said he's not demanding anything. But he's challenging McIntyre for the WWE Championship at the Royal Rumble. McIntyre grabs the mic, said he's all about respect and has no idea where Goldberg's coming from. Yeah, that's true. That's we don't know either, Drew. That was a good response. We don't know either, Drew. And that fighting him would be like fighting his own dad. Yeah, it would be. Good comeback. Super accurate. Goldberg could never answer that because McIntyre is speaking what all of us are actually thinking. So his music hits some for some reason. And then Goldberg pushes him. Raw runs out of time because there's no overrun and USA Network can't give them another minute. So they cut it off at 11 p.m. sharp. I mean, this was a complete and utter mess. Chris, it is 2021. No one wants to see Goldberg. If we have to see Goldberg, no one wants to see him at a big four pay-per-view. If we have to see Goldberg at a big four pay-per-view, no one wants to see him challenge for the WWE Championship. The only way this can get worse is if McIntyre drops the title to him. At least as of this moment, I have a strong belief that's not going to happen. But it's the only thing keeping me semi-sane here. Because how fucking out of touch do you have to be to book this? Goldberg had a good run with Brock Lesnar a few years ago, but everything else has been a failure. You want to book him against Keith Lee and put Keith Lee over in five minutes? I'm fine with it. 
heavily disrespect Mark Henry on the show. Goldberg say he lost because he didn't show any respect. Have Keith Lee spirit bomb his ass, do a Royal Rumble match, and then you have Goldberg put over Keith Lee on a huge stage. That's fine. You want to book Goldberg in a tag team match with Daniel Bryan to go up against Roman Reigns and Jey Uso? I can buy into some shit like that. I mean, I don't like it, but I can at least say, okay, you're utilizing him. This, a WWE title match against your company's top babyface with Goldberg trying to make him into like a heel at the Royal Rumble? What is this utter nonsense? How can they be this deaf to what their audience wants? Chris, go ahead and talk, dude. I'm steamed right now. I think I cursed on the show non-interview for the first time ever. This is dog shit. I hate it. It's terrible. Uh, I'm I'm torn because I love, I still love the presence of Goldberg. The problem is I don't like pretty much anything else around it. I The, the matches are terrible. I don't want to see another Goldberg match. The promos, he continues to struggle with promos ever since he's come back a handful of years ago. It was never his strength. You can see he kind of like closes his eyes when he's trying to remember where he was supposed to be. It's uncomfortable to watch sometimes. It's just not his bit. But I I still love the energy and the intensity that Goldberg brings that very few people still bring. And that's not to say I want to see him fight Drew McIntyre here. But there were a couple of moments where I was like, ooh, ooh, like kind of, kind of ooh, ooh, it's Goldberg, it's Goldberg. And we talked about this I don't know if it was a week or so ago. They they had they had that WWE untold on the Goldberg streak. And he is really good in interviews. I don't know why they keep giving him promos that are very clearly hard for him to remember. I don't know if there's a better way to set it up, but in terms of execution, if they're going to go forward with this, which I mean they are, talk to Goldberg in an interview and then just give those splice them together in, in, into a highlight package video. He comes off way more intense that way when he's kind of giving uh, an interview answer as opposed to trying to say whether or not he's demanding something when he's demanding a challenge. I want to pause you. Do you okay. think he screwed up that promo? I don't think he screwed it up. I think he almost lost track a couple times. So you think that he said what he was supposed to say about the respect stuff? I don't have the transcript in front of me. There were a couple of moments where I was like, wait, where is he going? And then he, he I, you don't need himself. the transcript. He, he basically said that Drew McIntyre doesn't respect legends. I think that's what he was. I think he was supposed to say that. I, that I, think, I mean, I don't care. Man, I don't care that's that it's stupid. It's nonsense. But it's I nonsense. Think, I do it's, think he was supposed to say that. And that's what I'm saying. Like, and I, I'm not, and I'm not, the problem is I'm not putting that on him. They gave him the promo. Yeah, of course. It's like, I'm not, I'm not saying this is all Goldberg's fault. No, no, no. I know. I'm saying it's WWE's fault. This is yeah. Vince McMahon's bullshit. Yeah. No. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. It's so I, in terms of the execution, the interruption right as Drew is about to talk that I think told me they're running out of time and, and they just they were like, we just got to get Goldberg out there now. And so Drew was legitimately surprised that he got interrupted for this thing. And yeah, I would have loved to see them put Keith Lee over a bit more, but it almost felt a little more authentic in that sense that Drew was planning to say something and literally didn't get to say it at all. And then the shove at the end and then the hard cut and we're out. I liked that too. That again felt more 
authentic of a cliffhanger. We got to go. We're out of time finish as opposed to Randy Orton's looking at the camera with a match and doing whatever we got last week. It, I it thought was the, the, it was the I, best. It was the best cliffhanger quote unquote finish that they've done that. I mean, that, that is finding a, a, a tiny little. No, for sure. But like, that's the, way to, that's the way to do it. It was like, it, 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 it Obviously, they meant for it to happen, but because it was so quick, it came off as something that maybe wasn't supposed to happen, and then it just cut out because they were out of time. Like, that's a way you do it to make it feel real in the future. There were pieces of this that I liked. Overall, yes, I hate it. Overall, yes, I don't want to see Goldberg and Drew McIntyre in a match, but no, I, I'm saying it here. Goldberg is not going to win unless somebody gets hurt and something can happen. It's not going to happen. We're we're going to get McIntyre is going to win. We're going to get McIntyre versus Brock at WrestleMania. We're going to get Daniel Bryan versus Roman at WrestleMania. I think it's going to be okay. How can you be so sure? Like, like okay. So I also do not think there's any way that they have. I think they can be so tone deaf. Not tone deaf. That's the wrong phrase. They can be so deaf to their audience wants and needs and desires to book this in the first place. I do believe that. I don't believe they can be stupid enough. To have Goldberg beat Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship. But there are so many circumstances in which that is possible, including The Miz, including The Miz cashing in the Money in the Bank briefcase during the match where they spear and claymore each other to death. He gets in, he cashes it in this time, they ring the bell, Goldberg spears Miz, beats him for the title. And now Drew McIntyre has lost the title for a second time. And you're either going with a rematch or you're, you bring back Brock Lesnar and have Lesnar beat Goldberg again at WrestleMania or some other bullshit happens. I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen, but I can't put it out of the realm of possibility. And what pains me here is WWE, due to the pandemic, has been unable to go to Saudi Arabia for the blood money and the sand shows. And largely that's helped the product Yep, because they aren't spending those three to four weeks of in-between booking, doing garbage stuff that no one wants to see for those shows, utilizing these legends. So because of that booking, whether you like it or not on SmackDown, we largely like it on Raw. We're largely indifferent. There's occasional things that are okay. It's largely been consistent, but now You're forcing this upon yourself. You're jamming in a convoluted booking scenario where a legend who, for some reason, every time he comes back, can get a title shot. He just walks in, I want a title match. No one else does that, except maybe Brock Lesnar, I guess. But Lesnar isn't really, he's a part-timer. He's not a legend. Imagine if every time John Cena came back, he demanded a title shot. Like, it just, fans would go crazy. I, I, I... I don't know what they're thinking here. I saw someone, maybe it was Meltzer, who, man, I give less and less credit to every single week that I read his shit or or hear his shit, say, well, you know, Raw doesn't really have anyone else built up ready to take on Drew McIntyre at the Royal Rumble. Well, number one, that's their own fault. Yes. yes. Uh, they can be built. They could have built up anyone, literally. They could have built up Mustafa Ali. Look, Mustafa look, again, Ali. I, I've said this before. Look how they built up Jey Uso. In a month or two for a Roman yes. Reigns feud that we love so much, we got it another. You can put this on anybody. They, I've said they can build up and make anybody a star if they really want to do it. Six months ago, they turned Dolph Ziggler back into a main eventer for a run. He got two matches against Drew McIntyre. They could have done it with Morrison. 
They could have done it with Miz without having to cash in the title. They could have just, again, like I said earlier, said, hey, that Keith Lee match was so good. We're just going to run it back at the pay-per-view. No one would have complained. A babyface recognizing the competition level provided by a challenger and saying that was so good, you that was so tough. I want that again in four weeks. People would have gone apeshit and loved it. It would have been a great way to put Keith Lee over. We didn't even mention, I glossed over it, you barely mentioned it, that as a consequence of Goldberg's music hit, music hitting, we didn't get to bask in the glory of that Keith Lee match. We didn't get to sit there for a moment and say, holy shit, Keith Lee is a star. Keith Lee is a main eventer. Drew McIntyre put him over without losing. We didn't even get to, to think that or, or soak that in because what happened? Keith Lee had to roll out of the ring so that Goldberg could go in and, and not so much steal his moment, but steal his moment. I mean, he really did. I just, I just thought it was so terrible from a booking standpoint, from a logistical standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint, that WWE deserves this type of criticism. I mean, we're almost 40 minutes into this show and there's a lot more for us to talk about and we're going to get to all of it momentarily. But that's how bad this was. And that's how insulting this was to me as a wrestling fan. The only possible bright spot, Chris, and we can end on this and move forward. The only possible bright spot, and I'm really stretching here for a positive, is that if we're getting Goldberg at the Rumble, I can't see them turning around and having him challenge Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. That booking is something that not even WWE, I think, would consider doing. That would just be so insanely insulting. So getting it out of the way with McIntyre beating Goldberg, we presume, is at least something. But man, I cannot buy into this. I almost want to say like, how dare they? How dare they end their first show of the new year with this? There is no way. Royal Rumble, there's not going to be any fans. If they're fans, they're very few, I assume. I The other thing is, I just I don't get it in that Goldberg versus McIntyre is not going to sell a single network sub. You know, it's not like trying to get people in the building. It's a completely different thing. I, if you want to say having a Goldberg match could get people in the building for a couple of Raws or something, I could buy that. I can't buy it as it as him being something that sells network subs. If they said, if Goldberg came up and said, I want to challenge you and I want it next week, I, you know what? I'd be fine with it. I would be. And, and, that, and that, I think, would actually pop a rating. Yeah, because we actually have a long runway before the Royal Rumble. So while you're still trying to figure out how you're going to move forward, okay, maybe even have Miz like try to interfere in that match and something happens. And if, again, if you even want to do, and I hate it, I hate that I'm even suggesting it, but if you want to do the Miz cashes in, Goldberg beats Miz, then you have them at at the Royal Rumble and McIntyre wins his title back. I hate it, but you are making McIntyre a three-time champion. You're popping a rating for Raw. At least I could rationalize it. But again, you would still need to give a storyline that makes sense for Goldberg challenging McIntyre. Even if this plays out okay, like even if this ends up being a four-star match that lasts seven minutes, like, okay, it's not going to happen, right? But even if it did, the storyline is still insulting. I just, yeah, it's garbage. It really is garbage. They should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah. I I mean, I might be wrong. 
I, I just, I really don't think they're going to put Goldberg in a title match at WrestleMania, and that's why they're doing it now. But, you know, the I, way look, I, I pray. Fun. I pray that that's the case, dude. I really do. Now, I don't have anywhere else in the show to put it. So because we're talking about Legends and something happened on Raw Talk that I just kind of wanted to single out, Mustafa Ali cut right now. I mean, it's we're five days into the year. The best promo of 2020. <laughs> like, uh, 2021, I'm sorry. As of this moment, the best promo of 2021 is this. I wanted to play it. I just thought it was apropos considering how angry I am about Goldberg. And I'm not trying to push your buttons in any way, but do you want to elaborate why you seem to be... You're on the wrong side of the bed. That's what it was, ain't it? Wrong side. You you got something right there, Art Truth. I am agitated. I'm angry. But most of all, I'm confused. We dedicated a three-hour show to old has-beens. You want to call them legends? Call them whatever. They've had their time. A night like tonight is exactly what is wrong with this company. Three hours to guys that can barely walk. Respect, dog. Oh, respect. Listen, listen. I'm not. I'm not bewildered. I know exactly that the generation before me paved the way. But yeah. when the hell are you gonna let me walk on that path? Guys like Drew Gulak, Akira Tozawa, myself, all of Retribution, not on the show. Why? Because we need to hear what you're gonna do, brother, again for the seven million time. But did you hear the cheers when? You yeah, were, yeah, they, they pumped them in real cheer, good. The bro. cheers, they pumped them in they real good cheer, for them, huh? Yeah, they were cheering. I'm sure they were. Why don't you give us a chance? People that can contribute to this business, further this company. But no, 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 no. Let's push them all aside. Let's give three hours to people that need. They can He's barely there. walk. You gotta change your attitude first of all to get a good, you know what I'm saying? To get a good spot. And the reason they can't walk is because they had such successful careers in years past. Right. They put their bodies on the line to to do what? To further the industry, to allow this industry to grow. They paved the way. They carved a path. When do I get to walk on that path? And for anybody that doesn't understand what I'm saying, it's not because I'm talking fast. It's because you're listening slow. This place needs change, and I am that change. Does change? And it goes on from there. I mean, he, he keeps going, but he nailed it. Like, I know that that's still W, that's not scripting. That's Ali going off because he's able to go off. But that's the sentiment. That's what fans actually feel. And I know that's what retribution is supposed to be. It hasn't really been that to this point. It's been people complaining about stuff and whatever. But Ali just gave a promo that is, not only is it accurate in terms of reality, but it's accurate in terms of kayfabe as well. It's what retribution is supposed to be. And it's how I felt and how many WWE fans, I'm going to speak for you maybe, you included, felt after watching that three-hour edition of Raw. I feel like all the best promos happen on Raw Talk and on YouTube. And sometimes they bring them back around and show them on the, on the show the next day. And this is the type of promo where you couldn't do it on this episode of Raw. Probably, probably had to wait until after. But... um no, that was good. You know, we, we keep seeing good things that are put in different parts of the show. You could say this is what Retribution was supposed to be. Yeah, I've given up on them. You know, they keep saying this. They keep giving us good Retribution promos on other platforms, and then it never translates to the show. So good for Mustafa Ali cutting a great promo. He's a really talented guy. Um, and, it, it, you know, m maybe you can eventually turn this around to say, 
why am I only talking on Raw Talk and YouTube and, and, and say we should be on the show and, and kind of lean into it. But uh, other than that, yeah, good for him. Uh, you say good for him, though. But and by the way, someone recently told me that I was condescending to you. I don't mean that. I have to ask people. You guys need to understand. You guys need to understand. I have to press Chris and ask him questions to get to sometimes elicit further responses. That's what. That's how. Yeah. Sometimes. I, sometimes works. I don't. Sometimes I just don't have that deep of thoughts. I know that. Right. So I'm that to, happens I'm, on the show. Right. So I try to pull it out of you, like by asking a follow up question. That, that's all. It's not condescension. It's it's just me asking him a question. But um, do you do you agree with me though that he nailed it. Like in terms of the sentiment, yeah. he nailed it, right? Yeah, okay. no, I agree. I'm just thinking where it goes from there is nowhere, probably. Oh, no, of course. It, of course it goes nowhere. Yeah, we know this. I'm just I'm, I'm just saying it would be great. I mean, look, it'd be great if Drew McIntyre beats Goldberg and Retribution comes down and beats the hell out of Goldberg after the match. Not going to happen, but it would be great. And then you know what? You Yes, you can have Goldberg go ahead and beat Mace. Or something like that, you know, but but they're not going to do that. That will be the only time we ever hear it or or see anything like that. And it'll be lost in the ether. That's just how it's going to be. All right. We're deep into the show. Let's talk some good stuff and, and then obviously talk the rest of Raw and SmackDown. We still have two more parts just in this main event. Uh, let's move over to SmackDown. Roman Reigns was celebrating his latest victory over Kevin Owens. He had a smirk on his face for the first time. He said he wears a gold glove now because everything he touches becomes great. Reigns praised Paul Heyman and then Jey Uso saying their success is all because they acknowledged him as the tribal chief. He also said, while fans asked which Uso Jey used to be, Reigns always knew he was a main event caliber performer. Kevin Owens' music hits. Reigns tears him down before he could even speak. Owens said the big dog is long gone and has been replaced by a giant bitch, considering he needed to cheat to win. Owens then later challenged Jey and said that he's going to make him pay. No rhyme intended. Later, Owens was uh, extremely persuasive, getting Adam Pierce to make the match after he refused a couple times. Reigns found out and was really pissed that Pierce made the match, telling Heyman to find out who disobeyed him. Heyman reported back that it was Pierce. Reigns got even more angry and convinced Jay to go prove why he's the main event. I thought it was all great, but we didn't really get much resolution with Pierce. Like, it felt like Reigns was saying that Pierce disobeyed him so that there should be some, no pun intended, retribution uh, for that, that he should suffer some fate, but nothing ever happened to Pierce. So why should people be scared to cross Reigns if there's no punishment? That's kind of how I felt. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. I didn't really think much of it. Um, But yeah, no, it it was good. I, I loved how Roman, you know, hyped up Jay, said he's you know a main eventer and he's doing all these things because he listened to Roman you know a- after we've kind of gotten a-, a long period of time of Roman kind of talking down Jay it was good to see him kind of uh, hype him back up again and you needed to do that going into the match um cuz cuz Jay's done a great job so that that was a good i think uh, uh new uh, you know expression from from Roman that that worked in this context me too. I, I agree. I thought it was. I thought it was really solid. A solid usage of Reigns on the mic, a little bit counter to what we have heard from him previously. It, it advanced the character, and that's exactly what you should always be doing. The match we got came in the main event: Kevin Owens against Jey Uso. Owens was great during this match. He was doing a lot of trash talking on Jay, saying the beating he's taking is not even his own goddamn fault. Uh, Owens dodged a splash. 
Jay landed on his injured knee, so KO basically easily caught him with the stunner for the win. Owens then hit Jay with a second stunner and told Reigns, come take care of your family, bitch. Handcuffed Jay to the top rope and beat him a bunch more. By the way, they used the word bitch like three times over the two shows. It's a little much. Like you can figure out some other ways to be, um, to curse without using the F word, I guess. You know, drop some shits, some asses, maybe an asshole here or there. You don't have to just keep saying bitch. Uh, But KO then handcuffed Jay, sorry, he uncuffed Jay, dragged him to the side of the Thunderdome boards and was ready to splash him through a table when Reigns climbed up onto like the scaffolding. They dumped Owens back a row and then beat him to hell with a couple chairs before Reigns threw him off the Thunderdome, like a whole story, uh, into the tables below. I thought this was a great and brutal, clearly it's leading to another match. It doesn't seem like Reigns will have another challenger for the Royal Rumble at this point. So I think we have to assume it's going to be Owens in a final stipulation match of some kind. I really hope it's not last man standing. You guys know I hate those. But a false count anywhere, I think that would do justice for the feud. Yeah, no, it's pretty clearly going to be Roman now. We we weren't sure if they do Roman again, uh, Kevin Owens again, because he would, you know, presumably lose. But with Daniel Bryan off to the Royal Rumble, there's nobody really else, and and this feud is continuing on this way. So yeah, you know, I, I think it'll be. Good. I will see what, what kind of stipulation they do again. Yep. Hope it's not a last man standing. Those are the worst. Hope it's not an I quit. Don't like those either. Although I guess Roman has been better at those. Uh, his, his J match was pretty good in that sense. So, maybe, you know, I, I think they can come up with something fun. So, some interesting. Maybe it's a tribal chief match. You got to call me. Tribal <laughs> chief or something like that. I don't head of the table or whatever that was. Um, maybe they could do something interesting with it. Just. Yeah. So yeah, possibly. I I do think false count anywhere would be the play. And I think they're kind of, you know, that's my favorite stipulation. There is. It's great. You you have this whole baseball stadium. Use it. Yeah. They could, they could do it anywhere. And like, I'm sure there's a, there's gyms and offices. Like there's so many things they could do. They could tear apart that. And look, the Tampa Bay Rays play there. Like there's no harm in just destroying the entire thing. They can have the whole thing implode for all I care. It'd be fine. Like, It'd be great. So uh, that, that's just where I think it's going to go. Um, I do think Falls Count Anywhere will be the, the stipulation. We'll see. But it is a match I'm looking forward to because what have we learned historically? Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens, put them together. You're going to get a great match every single time. So I'm, I'm very excited for that at Royal Rumble. Uh, I do think the Royal Rumble match is going to main event the show. But hopefully from a singles match perspective, that ends up being the main event match. Because right now it's the only one that deserves that type of spot. Now, uh, third part of our main event, I guess we'll talk about Randy Orton because they're really keeping the focus on him heavily on Raw. He's kind of like the co-main event of Raw along with Drew McIntyre, even though they're no longer feuding with each other. Orton said in an interview backstage, the voices were telling him to set Alexa Bliss on fire, but he couldn't do it because he changed like everyone else does when they face the Fiend. He showed compassion and mercy, and because of that, he hated himself more than he ever has. He's learned that he can shape that hate and become unstoppable. I thought that was a little convoluted, but whatever. It, it kind of played out over the rest of the ma- over the rest of the show. Uh, he said he was going to go find some legends, which he did. He had a great interaction with Big Show backstage. He ga- was gaslighting him, questioning his manhood. Orton then approached Mark Henry, who was giving Ricochet some advice. 
uh, while on one of those scooters where you have like one leg up on it when you break your leg or hurt it or something. Orton said he was entering the Royal Rumble and he owed Henry a ton of receipts for all the world's strongest slams he'd gotten over the years, but he'd give him a pass as long as he wheeled away. So he did. It was kind of strange to see big man legends like Show and Mark Henry cowering to Orton. You wouldn't really expect something like that, but it did build up Orton a little bit. So I give them credit for that. Orton then went up to Ric Flair backstage and said, the only reason he's relevant anymore is because of Charlotte, who's 10 times better than he ever was. Orton said Flair is a shell of himself, nothing to anyone anymore, just a pathetic old man. Flair really got torn down, not just here, but over the entire night. It was interesting to see him use the legends like that. And I guess it put over Orton as an even bigger asshole in terms of his character. But ultimately, it didn't really feel like it pushed him forward or accomplished much of anything. Do you agree? I mean, not in the sense of the Fiend feud, but for the things you said, you know, Mark Henry scootering away and and these legends just kind of tucking their tail between their legs and leaving did make him seem like a bigger asshole. So I, I think it was successful in what it was trying to accomplish. In the big picture, does it make that big of a difference? Probably not. We are we all already view Randy Orton as an asshole and probably didn't need it to confirm. But hey, you know, I complain about not using legends in a way that boosts current people on the roster. This is a way to do it. So I got to give credit to them for that. And the other thing I got to say is if Mark Henry can't walk, I mean, I assume the, if the scooter is for real, don't don't bring him to Florida. <laughs> Let that man rest. <laughs> I, was like, I, I was like, wait, what's he doing there if he can't think well, about all pay, the traveling? It's a I mean, I mean, you say what you will, but there's a couple things. One, they, they have legends contracts. And look, I'm with you on the COVID stuff. You know, like anyone who's listened to this podcast, in case there's any new listeners, we've been very iffy with just the use of legends this entire. I mean, we've been iffy with wrestling happening this whole time, but especially using legends on AEW, on WWE, across brands. Uh, so yes, I agree. For having people fly in for something like this, not worth it. The one thing I will say is they are all on, not all of them, but many of them, including Show and Henry, are on Legends contracts. So they're paid, you know, salaries yearly, annually. So you have to make a trip, you have to make a trip under normal times. Under COVID times, I agree, like it's ridiculous. Like let the guy just stay home. But under a normal circumstance, it would make sense why, where they're like, look, you're under contract, come fly in and just be backstage for five minutes. You know, you get to see people. Maybe there's extra payday. I don't really know. I don't know. I, I, I hear what you're saying, though. I'm not. I, I, don't my, really my, my, I mean, my only thing with, with Mark was just if he can't walk, I mean, getting him there seemed like it would have been a heck of a chore. And hey, maybe he took it, a private jet. You don't know. Maybe I, I mean, I guess it still seems like a lot, but hope he's okay. Possible. I hope he is too. Uh, On to the match that we ended up having, which was Randy Orton versus Jeff Hardy, which I know they did actually promote this, but it, it just kind of felt like, oh yeah, he has a match. Like, yeah. like he's doing all the stuff backstage. Uh, it was actually really good. I thought Hardy was without his face paint and he was wearing gear from the 2008 Royal Rumble. And that's the same. Ma- he had a match with Orton on that show. Uh, Orton dropped Hardy on the announce table. Hardy hit the twist of fury, but couldn't get a cover. Orton then stuck fingers in the gauge holes in Hardy's earlobes and wrenched them backwards. Ooh, Orton cannot man. leave those things alone. First, man. it's like a screwdriver. Now it's his fingers. He just he's obsessed with those things. This one, that uh, one looked worse than that one looked worse than even what they did before. Oh, the Ooh. screwdriver! I didn't think was that big of a deal, but that was bad. 
Like two fingers. Like was, yeah, it looked like he was straight pulling his ears off. Oh, it was crazy, man. <laughs> it was nuts. Uh, Orton hits the draping DDT, then later counters the twist of fate with an RKO for the win. Same finish as the 2008 Rumble. Hardy was dressed like it. Really nice Easter egg there in the match. I didn't think the match was anything spectacular, but it did, you know, ha- finding someone where Orton can show his demonic side and the gauge holes in Jeff Hardy's ears allow him to do that. It helps put Orton over. I hate that Hardy's been losing so much recently, but sometimes people have to lose and Jeff Hardy's not going to get hurt from losing to Randy Orton. So nope. I was okay with it. Yep. No, no, it, it was fine match. What, what it needed to be doing the, you know, pretending to rip the ears off kind of fit in again with Orton, you know, being an asshole to veterans, to legends and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it, it, again, yeah, it was what it needed to be. It was fine. And, and yeah, Jeff Hardy can take all the losses in the world and pop right back up and be totally fine. Exactly. So let's move on to everything else that's happened on Raw and SmackDown. And I want to start with Biggie because I failed as your host of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast to not air one of the best promos of 2020 on the show before the year was out. I don't know if I missed it because it didn't happen on TV. It was one of those quote unquote network exclusives they put online. Uh, I don't know if I meant to and forgot. I had it saved uh, on my computer, but I just didn't play it. Biggie, after winning the Intercontinental Championship over Sami Zayn, he was backstage being interviewed and he put a hard hat on his head. And I want you to listen to the following promo cut by the new Intercontinental Champion. Big E, congratulations. It has been a long journey. It's Christmas Day and you are Intercontinental Champion. How are you feeling? I feel great. You didn't ask me why I was wearing this hard uh, hat. And why are you wearing that hard hat? Because I went to work out there, Elise. I went to work on the boy Sami Zayn. And I did what I had to do to become your Intercontinental Champion for the second time. Don't forget about 2013. I was doing my thing back then, too. But I went to work on that boy's behind. I sat I opened up his cheeks, and I, I said, I'm doing construction here. I'm doing construction here. This is a, a construction site. And I took the yellow tape, and I taped it around the boy's behind. And I said, I'm doing work here. This is where we got to renovate the boy's behind. We got to renovate his cheeks because I'm doing work here. Put out the caution tape. Put out the orange cones. <laughs> Everyone back away for 50 yards because I'm doing construction here on Sammy Zane's behind. Time to go to work on the boy's butt. <laughs> Thank you. And I did just that. I'll be- All right. It, go- it goes on from there. Um- okay. I, I, I think we got to make that last line. I'm, I'm doing work on that boy's butt. But I don't know if that needs to be a drop or what, but that, that I didn't actually catch. I guess I didn't catch that promo live or something, but that. No, uh, it was, it was on uh, social media. Okay. Just, just the best promos are on social media. Just listening to it audio wise. He really, he really painted a scene and, uh, painted a scene that's going to kind of stick in your head for a while. It actually sucks that it kind of got cut off there. He talks about building like hotels and houses and, it, it, you know, go find it um, on the on any WWE social media channel. I think it's on the YouTube and other stuff as well. Just, I mean, Biggie is a treasure. I do think if we had a promo of the year award for 2020, that would have come in at the last minute and won. I have to say that that was a promo that would make Dusty Rhodes proud. It would make the Macho Man Randy Savage proud. That is a incredible promo 
from Biggie. He deserves all the credit in the world. And I just wanted to play that before we talk about him because he was going to be the first segment for our next segment. Uh, what else went down on Ron SmackDown? So let's talk about his match this week, Biggie against King Corbin in a non-title match. They already got rid of the throwback chalk that Biggie was throwing during his entrance. I really wish they kept it. I don't know why they got rid of it. Um, he was wearing a Brody armband and screamed that he loved him before the match. That was really cool. Before we talk about the match, I do have to say, Corbin's been king of the ring now for 16 months. Can we not just have another tournament or move on? Like, do you have any thoughts on this stuff of whether the chalk entrance or just Corbin not being king anymore? Just he can have the knights. He can he is still the lone wolf. Go back to that gimmick. I mean, why are you still why is he still the king? Why are you still introducing him with the King of the Ring logo? It's been over a year at this point. Just have a new tournament or just get rid of this. Not only have a new tournament to do something with the gimmick, have have the tournament because it's fun. The King it's of the Ring is a great tournament. Thing. I don't know why they don't. I, I, I know, I guess Vince has just not liked it and they've rarely done it over the past decade, but just, man, it's the easiest thing to just make like a themed episode of SmackDown or something or Raw and, and just give it a handful of matches, spread it over two weeks or something like that. You know, I remember they did the Bad News Barrett versus um, uh, Adrian Neville, you know, end up, I think, as a championship match. And just, you know, there's a lot you can do with it that's not. I mean, I know in wrestling history, it's always turned into a king gimmick. But like, put a championship match on the line in this tournament, give us a king of the ring, and that's what you get. Like, I don't know. It's so weird to just not do king of the ring every year, let alone do it once, let it go 16 months and continue to use the gimmick. I, right. It's just nonsense. And I would have loved the, I love the chalk on Big E. I don't really get getting rid of it. I know it's a small thing, but I like that too. Yeah, it's one thing to do it on TV. It's another thing to not do it at all, but to then do it and just make people, have people almost forget that it happened, but then he's the king and still show the logo. It's just the wrong combination of things. But you're right. You could take a three hour raw And you want to talk about promoting a Raw and getting people excited to watch Raw? King of the Ring. This week on Raw, three hours, start to finish, we will crown a new King of the Ring. You could do it, even with commercials. Give up the rest of the show. Give everyone else a week off. Get, you know, however many eight dudes. And yeah, you can have a couple women's matches in between to shake things up and, and, you know, a couple other storylines, maybe a tag team storyline or or a main event storyline, whatever. But you could do an entire King of the Ring tournament on Raw, on a three-hour Raw, or across two shows, if you want to crown it on SmackDown for Fox, you could do that too. Easy to do. And you put someone over. And no, Chris, you're actually wrong. They don't always go and use the King gimmick. It sucks that it's a crutch that they more often than not use. Yes, you, you are right about that. But the, the prime example, the paradigm, is Steve Austin. He won King of the Ring. He threw the shit off. He's like, Austin 316, I'll whoop your ass. And, and it was great. He got a coronation and he moved on. Now, of course, that's also the greatest King of the Ring, like individual moment of all time that I'm mentioning, but you can do it with other people is the point. You can have Cesaro win King of the Ring and then start on a singles journey. You could have had Big E win King of the Ring and say, yeah, the crown's stupid. Maybe he puts the crown on his tights, like as part of his tights. And then he just goes on and, and wins the IC title. And then Corbin challenges him. I'm still the king. They have this match or have a feud. And then Big E beats him and, and that's it. And Did then you, you end up. Do you and Corbin's King gimmick and, and Biggie goes on as the guy who's getting pushed. They should have done it with Biggie now that I think about it. Yeah. No, for sure. Exactly. And and you remember when Edge won it? I think he was carrying around 
was it the Grey Cup trophy or something like that back in like 2001 Maybe. or something like that? I remember I remember he was carrying around a trophy when he won it uh, back then. So, yeah, there I mean, yeah, there are different ways you can do it, but it's it's nothing but positive. Like, that's how you build up a dude. I, I mean, Chad Gable got a little bit of a push through the, the last King of the Ring that Corbin won and they didn't do anything with him, obviously. But but like it's a way to just like build up new guys and do. I don't know, just it makes folks look good when you do these tournaments. I just uh, I don't know why they don't do them more often. Number one contender tournaments, whatever. Uh, it's just it's it's a wrestling, you know, storytelling. You know, it's an easy storytelling tool. Would love to see more of it. Yeah, imagine if Biggie won King of the Ring and then won the Intercontinental Title, and, and imagine the momentum he'd have right now or something like that. Well, not not well, that this- he's not not that he's not in a good spot, but just you know. Could be yeah, he's he's in a great spot. But all those remember all those weeks, it was like a six week period where we're like, man, they were pushing Big E and now they're just not. They could have been doing the King of the Ring that entire time. And yeah. and pushing him. And he could have won it, then earned an intercontinental title shot, won the intercontinental title, then had a natural feud with Corbin, which is what they're doing anyway. But at least you're you're factoring that into things. Instead, they're just not. But I do think it's a better device on Raw than SmackDown. I always thought it was weird that they did it on SmackDown that time just because Raw's a longer show. You can use it there better. But man, bring it back. I I mean, long-term listeners of mine know I've been advocating for the King of the Ring for three or four four years at this point. Um, They should do it every year. It should be a pay-per-view, but if it's not going to be, it should at least be a TV special or a special over a couple of weeks. But anyway, I digress. On to this match. The match only lasted three minutes. Big E hit the big ending on Corbin, was set to win, but Sami Zayn ran in from commentary and broke up the fall. Then the Knights of the Lone Wolf attacked. Apollo Crews made the save and took out all four of them. I got to talk about these knights also. Who would ever wear a hoodie with a blazer? Like, <laughs> how hot does that have to be? Especially, like, inside of an arena. It also looks really strange. But who would ever do that combination? It's very weird. I, I think it kind of fits the weird clothing choices that Corbin makes. I, I don't know. It's... Uh... It was certainly a decision. It was a decision. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, we ended up with a tag team match. Biggie and Apollo Crews defeating Sami Zayn and King Corbin. Zayn, Corbin, and the Knights didn't get along, so they left uh, basically Sami to fend for himself. Biggie disappeared from the ring for like five minutes. I have no idea where he went. Crews hit Zayn with a spinning midair sit-down powerbomb for the win. This whole segment was just weird to me, but I am glad Crews got a win. You guys know I like him. But you have a brand new Intercontinental Champion you're trying to get over, and you don't let him get a win in either match that he's competing in, and he's the tertiary part of the entire segment. So I just thought that was strange. Biggie finally got to speak afterward. He shouted out Rome, Rochester, Amanda Nolan, and the Maple Leafs, which were all references to Brody Lee. He also did a Gator roll during the match and a yeah, 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 which again, more references He said he would do an open challenge and and Cruz immediately said he would be the challenger and they did that fake laugh at each other. So that all worked and I loved the shout outs to Brody Lee that that Big E did. It just felt pretty strange that this guy won the IC title. And yeah, I did play for you certainly the uh, promo that he cut after winning it, but that didn't air on TV. So you don't even hear from this guy until well after a double segment match. I just, I thought it was strange and, and pretty crappy booking. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe they didn't want to have Biggie pin Sammy again because they're going to do a match later I, I, at the Rumble or something. I, I don't know. It was it, it, the whole thing did just kind of feel 
disjointed with a lot of people in and out and changing matches. And considering we got Teddy Long on Monday, you know, that was really kind of got us into a Teddy Long segment there. It did. Yeah, it really did. It probably would have been better served here, but nevertheless, I, I love Big E. I'm happy he's IC champion. This wasn't bad. I'm maybe making it sound like it was bad. It wasn't. I just thought it was messy. And I thought they could have tightened yeah. it up a little bit. Uh, moving over to a, a similar mid-card title picture situation on Raw. Well, uh, Bob- let, me, let, me, let me say something here real quick about going back to the Big E thing. And this kind of goes back to the, the problem that WWE has in that every match has to be like the same storyline. You could have just had Big E just beat somebody, just some random person, just give him some wins. You know, this is kind of the thing we said about Keith Lee not getting a, a ton before the Sheamus match. It's just like, they, it feels like every match has to be the same, involve the same people every week, and we kind of rerun these things. Throw Big E just in a match against anybody, one, one of the disciples or whatever you call them, and, and just have him win that one straight up clean in a, in a quick match. And then you somehow transition into the tag match after that. Like, I think just give these guys some wins. These guys that you're trying to build, um, give just give them some wins week to week and do some other stuff. You make a good point. It would have been far more effective if he quickly beat uh, one of the Knights and then Corbin came in to attack him. Because Corbin, uh, Big E, makes sense as an IC title feud. Corbin comes in, then Apollo Crews runs in, then Sami Zayn runs in. Then you do the tag team match. Yeah. At least in at least in that booking, Biggie gets the victory. Yeah, exactly. So, it, yeah. Right. Like it's just like in, not that Biggie's, you know, not, you know, Biggie's in a good spot. I just think in general, a lot of these times they they kind of make things too convoluted and complicated when it really just comes down to give some guys some wins. The the, the guys who you want to look good, instead of giving them some weird situational victory. Just give them wins. Just rack up some wins. Yeah, against guys who it's totally fine that they're fighting, but it's not maybe, it doesn't have to be storyline driven. You can do the storyline yeah. after the win. That, that's all you need to do. Yeah. Uh, but again, sticking with kind of the mid card, moving over to, back to Raw, Bobby Lashley against Riddle. I thought this was one of the other bright spots on a Raw show that was not very good largely. Uh, but after all the confusion, the tag team stuff, why are, is he teaming with Jeff Hardy? We finally get Lashley versus Riddle. I hated that it was unadvertised, but we finally got the match. It was a non-title match. It started hot with Riddle attacking Lashley before the bell, then dumping him over the top rope with a triangle. Lashley drove Riddle headfirst into the ring post with a fireman's carry. Riddle sold like hell for Lashley the entire fight. And Lashley, even though Riddle looked good, Lashley looked great throughout this entire match. He reversed an exploder into a flatliner, but Riddle flipped out of it. Lashley then no-sold the floating bro and the final flash with a pair of kickouts at one. He picked Riddle off the top rope, hit a dominator for the first time in a long time. We haven't seen that move from him. Lashley put Riddle in the hurt lock and thought he tapped, so he released it, but the referee didn't see it. The bell never rang, so Riddle rolled him up from behind and got the win. MVP afterwards said Lashley was cheated, and Lashley said he would punish Riddle's punk ass. We then saw tape that Riddle did actually tap, but the referee never could have seen it. So Lashley made the mistake. Riddle got the win. This is the exact appropriate instance where you want to use a roll-up. Though it was telegraphed with Lashley's back turned and so on. Again, they showed the replay. That was great. I don't know. I had no issue here. Uh, Lashley was infuriated. The match was awesome. I loved the booking. I wish they sold, sold this 
which it was, as Lashley's first loss since June, because it was, he hasn't lost a singles match since Drew McIntyre beat him. And that's a great thing to say on commentary. Oh my God, Bobby Lashley lost. That has not happened since June, 2020. I mean, think about how long that has been. Um, They could have hammered that home. They didn't do it. That's okay. But guess what? All along, I wanted Lashley versus Riddle for the United States Championship. Now I have to believe we're going to get Lashley versus Riddle for the United States Championship. There was beef flying in this match. And I think there's going to be beef flying in that match when we get the rematch. Yeah, this was the first. This was the first thing on the show that was like, oh, we got something good here. I I don't remember exactly what time in the show it was. It it was quite a bit in, but I remember thinking, oh, we finally got like a really good match here and we hadn't had this yet. And I think this is something else that could have opened the show, by the way. Yeah, I'm going to let's keep an eye out for next week. I'm curious if they point out that this was Lashley's first loss since June, because in the past, when you've brought this up, that someone hadn't lost since whatever, and they didn't mention it. It's often been brought up the next week. So I don't know if somebody listens to the pot or what, but I guess we'll see if they mention it next week. I, I, I overall, in a vacuum, really like this. It worked out. It made sense. I think my bigger issue is that in the context of the show, we had the women's tag champs pin, the men's tag champ pinned, and the U.S. champion tag, uh, U.S. champion, all pinned, all kind of similar in maybe not the final one, but they all had distraction roll-ups at some point. And I think oh, that yeah. kind of irked me with the way it played out for the rest of the show. Um, but just between those two, yeah, it was good. And I assume we'll get a riddle Lashley U.S. title match at the Rumble, hopefully. Um, and and they'll get us there. And maybe this is the way to do it. It's kind of weird to have the face win in a way like this, but it was fine. It was good. Uh, that's the thing. It's it's not that roll-ups and crucifix pins and fold-ups are bad. They're not. They're necessary. Yes. Doing five of them in a single show, which is what I tweeted, there were five, eight matches on the show. Three had clean finishes with like a finisher. Five of them, there were two roll-ups, there were two crucifixes, and there was a fold-up. And you can't give me that on an eight-hour show. Give me a submission. Uh, give Three me, hours. I don't know, just give me a, a pinfall out of nowhere with a non-finisher. It's enough. Yeah, but exactly. In this case, yeah. But in this case, in this match, it was okay. Yeah. This is the match where you earmark it and you say, "This is our roll-up match of the night." Yep. That's yep. all I'm exactly. trying to say. Exactly. All right. So moving back to SmackDown, there were a lot of women's tag team matches this week. It seems like WWE's like there were a lot of tag matches. Period. And there were a lot of tag matches. Period. But but from the women's division, I think five hours of television. I could be wrong as we go through here. Five hours of TV across Raw and SmackDown. I think we had one women's singles match. Every other women's match, I think there were three others, were all tag team matches. So why is that? It's because, guess what? Charlotte Flair and Oscar are the champions. And now the SmackDown and Raw Women's Championships individually don't really matter. I mean, the SmackDown one still does. The Raw Women's Championship is lost. It hasn't been defended. There's no challengers for it. It's, It's just incredible what they're doing. But I digress because I actually am starting with SmackDown here. Bailey and Carmella defeated Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair in a tag team match, stemming from the triple threat tag team match last week. Apparently, Carmella's white sheet entrance is also gone, unless it wasn't used because it was a tag team match. Banks nearly got the win with a running knee on Mella. Belair tried to use her braid to pull Banks to the ropes again for the tag, but Bailey grabbed it. So Belair used it 
to swing Bailey into the ring post and knock her out. Thought that was awesome. Banks locked Carmella in the bank statement and had her ready to tap until Reginald again pulled Mella out of the ring and kept doing a bunch of flips and slides on the ring apron to distract her. Mella eventually caught a distracted Banks and countered a move in cool fashion with a float over Mella Buster and X-Factor. It was great. Carmella keeps looking really good in the ring, and it makes sense that they're continuing this feud. I thought this was a great finish to the match and a really good match in general. Yeah, no, it was. And this is what, this is the second week in a row we're getting a Bailey, Carmella, Sasha, uh, Bianca thing. And it, it's it, it's good. It seems like they're kind of trying to mash these two stories together to keep them going at the same time, the, the, the Bianca Belair Bailey thing as well. Um, so, big picture, there wasn't much to it. Uh, but Carmella looked great in the ring. The flipping sommelier was. Weird but impressive. <laughs> and, so I, I had to research this guy, right? Just, just since you mentioned him. Yeah, I'm I was going to say he's probably some wrestler. I don't know. Yeah, let me. So know. His, Who is his real name is Sidney Bateman. He was signed to the Performance Center about a year ago as a recruit. He used to be in Cirque du Soleil. Huh. So that totally explains his his athleticism, his ability, kind of a little bit why he's in that spot. I, I like him. And you know what? I also like that in wrestling these days, we're getting male valets, which is a really yep. nice, cool twist on the way that's been done because he's not a manager. James Ellsworth for Carmelo was not a manager. He, Ellsworth wasn't really even a valet, but they're both closer to valets than they were managers. And I just love the idea of this guy. Like he's helping Carmela, building her character. And I think he's doing a great job, but that explains the athleticism and why he was doing flips and all that type of stuff. You can go I, ahead and continue. I just want to talk. I, I bet Cirque du Soleil people are probably great pro wrestlers. That, oh yeah, that's really For interesting. Sure. And and yeah, I mean, I mean, Carmella is she's I think been at her best when she's had other people to play off of. Whether that was Enzo and Big Cass, whether that was James Ellsworth, whether that was R Truth. So you know, and this is a different. This one is different than the others, kind of. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think this all works for what they're doing. Um, yeah, just another, I think, a solid performance for everybody involved. It really was. Uh, I should also mention here that I opened the match thinking Bailey really needs to be further away from Sasha Banks, considering how long their feud was. But they did a really good job keeping each feud confined into itself in the match, despite all of them tagging. This is a really strong top four on SmackDown. Bailey, Carmella, Sasha Banks, and Bianca Belair. And the division grew even stronger a little bit later in the show when Sonya Deville was shown walking backstage, catching stares from everyone on the roster. She looked like a million bucks. Commentary was a little bit rough explaining why she was there. They said she was reinstated. Well, she was never suspended. She quit. She was in an I quit match, not an I quit match, a uh, loser leaves WWE match. So her contract was gone. So she wasn't reinstated, but I guess that's just how they're going to play it off. But look, business picks up when you see Sonya Deville. You add her to those four. And man, the SmackDown women's division is super, super strong. Morning Woods is what Xavier calls it. It's really going to be like a top tier women's division in WWE. You have NXT, which is number one. There's good talent on Raw. SmackDown is clearly that big number two. And I think it could threaten NXT with those five on top. Yeah, no, I was going to say, if you have those five kind of at the top of the game, I'd, I'd put that over anybody. So we'll yeah. see how it plays out. So it's, it's, 
it's it's exciting. I know they're trying to get them all in the show with these tag matches, um, but I think we can break out into some break back out into some singles feuds that I imagine are probably coming for the Rumble, the, the Bianca Bailey stuff, and, and more of Sasha Carmella. I have to believe. I mean, I have to believe that we're going to get Sasha Banks and Carmella again in a singles match for the SmackDown Women's title on the Royal Rumble, but everyone else involved in this should be in the Rumble match, plus Sonya Deville should be in the Rumble match. So you could argue, by the way, they should have saved her return for the Rumble, but maybe they just wanted to explain it and provide some storyline beforehand. Did you have something to say? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, could be. Okay. Uh, So again, women's tag team matches. We got another one on Raw. Asuka and Charlotte Flair in a non-title match against Peyton Royce and Lacey Evans. Flair announced for the Royal Rumble. So there's going to be, I guess, no Raw Women's Championship or Women's Tag Team Championship defended at the pay-per-view. I have to believe that's the case if she's going to be in the match. Ric Flair walked Charlotte to the ring. Lacey did his strut. Charlotte got pissed. And they started brawling at ringside. It was actually exciting, that brawl. So, of course, WWE went right to commercial. Uh, Royce and Evans also have, for me, negative chemistry. Yeah. It's just not a tag team I care about. Do you agree? Like, we, we, all, we hate, of course, what they've done with Peyton Royce. But them as a tag team doesn't draw any juice for me when there's other established or other tag teams that could be established. It just seems like it's totally forced. Yeah, no. I mean, I like Lacey Evans more than most people. I think she's serviceable i i liked her and corbin for that little bit but her and peyton royce just no just put the dang iconics back together it's fine like we're just we're saying this every week billy Kay's doing a great job you know figuring out what she's trying to do over on um i think she's on smackdown oh yeah she's kicking it yeah so just 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 put them back together it's fine i i don't know why we're still trying this it's stupid i'm actually going to talk about that in a second but first i'm going to talk about the match uh, Flair got the hot tag, hit a double moonsault for no fall, which I thought was weird. She tagged back in and then they hit the code breaker, natural selection combo, only for Evans to break it up. Evans then took out Asuka and crawled over to Rick on the ring apron, grabbed his tie to pull him in for a kiss. So Charlotte drop kicked her off the ring apron. Rick tried to help Charlotte by tripping Royce, but he accidentally tripped Charlotte instead, giving Royce the opportunity to win with a crucifix. Again, another instance where a roll-up crucifix is okay. These were the two. The one we mentioned earlier with Riddle and this one. These were the two that I found acceptable on the show. Charlotte was infuriated as Lacey ran over to kiss Rick on the cheek. He knew he screwed up. You could see he was really depressed. Charlotte then went up to Rick and verbally assaulted him, telling him to stay out of her business. It's weird because she's back as a baby face, yet she's treating her father like that. Other than that strangeness, I actually liked the booking. Heels using Ric Flair's notorious horniness and attraction to women against his daughter. I thought it was a really smart piece of booking. The match was okay. I didn't think it was bad. And I liked the finish using Ric Flair in that way. But you have the Peyton Royce, Lacey Evans dynamic. And I did think it was strange. I wonder if you agree that Charlotte was such, uh, I don't want to use the word bitch for a woman, but she was in the moment. Uh, she was so bitchy to him when it's her father and you already did that storyline and you did it when she was a heel. So why is she doing the same thing as a face? I just thought it was a little out of character considering the way she's returned to WWE. Kind of. I mean, we haven't gotten a lot of character from her coming back, but I think this makes sense because this is largely the way we've seen her 
I hope it's leading her back toward being a heel because she's clearly much better in that role. So, so is the idea of the end that Ric Flair thought he was going to grab Peyton Royce, but then because they flipped, he ended up grabbing yes. Charlotte. Okay. Yeah. Cause in the moment I thought, <laughs> I thought his horniness had overcome him. And as, oh, you as, thought like Lacey had won him over. Yeah. Like Lacey had won him over and then Charlotte lost and he immediately regretted it. And that was, that. that's what I thought they were trying to say. Um, you no, know, I, what, I, what I think it was, I think it was Rick becoming wise to their plan because he's the dirtiest player in the game. So I think he saw what they were doing and he's like, well, if they're going to try to do this and distract my daughter, then I'm just going to trip her yeah, up no, and, and get her an easy win. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. I just, in the moment, that's what I thought. I thought it was, it was Rick just couldn't contain himself and then regretted it. And it was like a father apologizing to his daughter. But there, there was a great camera shot. Uh, they, they got a great camera of, of, um, Charlotte's sitting there with her uh, hand on her head, frustrated, and Rick's in the background, like just mm-hmm. distraught, and puts his head down. Tremendous camera shot. Just want to give a shout out to whoever got that. It was really well done. Um, so I, I think, you know, you said this is, a, this is a good time. It works for a distraction roll up or a roll up finish. I just would have, knowing that you have the same thing happening on another match, just have Peyton Royce hit whatever her finisher is. And just win it that way as opposed to a roll up. I think it would have helped Peyton Royce to actually get a finisher and pin Charlotte Flair that way as opposed to a distraction, because I don't think distractions ever help anybody. But other than that, you know, it was it it advanced something a little bit forward and we'll have to see where it goes. I would almost always agree with you on that. Except Charlotte just came back. If she had been there for the last six months and had gotten plenty of wins, then I would say that's okay. But Given the circumstance, the fact, first of all, it's great that they beat Charlotte and not Oscar. So that was nice. But if you're going to do it, I was okay with it in that circumstance. Also, I don't think Peyton has really an established finisher. So no, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. I would have loved to see what it is. Yeah, but, but I'm saying I don't even know that she has one. Like, like I don't, I, there is, there's not one established, but I also couldn't tell you what her finisher is. So she would have had to have come up with a finisher and that have been the one to get put over and then the one to get built going forward. So I was okay with it. I do also want to say, if they had gone, and people may have grown, if they had gone with a scenario where Rick, to your point, was helping Lacey Evans and became her manager because he's sick of the way Charlotte treats him. And let's say, let's make believe, since we are make-believing, uh, that Charlotte was the Raw Women's Champion and he led Lacey to win the title off Charlotte. That's a storyline I can get behind. Yeah. This... It was fine. It was good. It was well booked. But I just didn't think Charlotte screaming at her father again, where she's a face, she could have put her arm around him and said, Dad, we talked about this. Don't you remember a couple of years ago? We had this blow up. Leave me alone. Stop interfering in my matches. Like she could have just done something like that. And I thought it would have worked just as well. Look, maybe something happens next week and flares back and, and now it all comes into picture. But for a one shot moment, for me, it didn't really work. Couple more things before we get out of here. Actually, a good amount. So let's keep going. Let's roll through. Street Profits had a New Year's smoke-tacular. For me, this started as a huge failure. I didn't laugh. Um, I did respect the fact that Angela Dawkins can apparently play the drums. Who knew? That's cool. But the comedy, the insults, I just thought it was a really bad segment. However, Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode come in. They violently attack the Profits while they were making those jokes. 
They forced Montez Ford to straddle the ring post and brutalized his leg with a chair a bunch of times. Rude was particularly violent. This is the first time for me that Ziggler and Rude looked like a real tag team. I like the Dirty Dog's name. They were wearing matching shirts. Ziggler and Rude then cut a great promo backstage about being provoked. They demanded a rematch. Not only do I want to see a rematch, Chris, I want to see the title change. I am totally bought into these guys as the new tag team champions. I'm all about the Dirty Dogs. Yeah, I mean, now that they have a name and they have shirts and they're going with it, you know, we, we talked about it before. Is that like, give give these guys names and singular entrances and just make them a tag team if they're going to be a tag team. And yeah, if the, you know, we picked them to win the tag belts at TLC, I think it was probably. We, we thought there were going to be some time, or it might have been on SmackDown, I think. And, and we keep thinking they're, Profits are going to lose and they keep not losing and they keep getting the same rematches. So, yeah, I would love to see Ziggler and Rude, the Dirty Dogs, get a tag team championship out of this. It's just they keep losing so many times. At some point, you don't really believe they can do it. So maybe this next time is the time. Maybe, um, but I'm all in on them. I, I am. We talk about it all the time about WWE needing to enhance their tag team divisions, not just with attention and matches, but with teams and how few teams there are. And Ziggler and Rude to me always just felt thrown together. Now I feel like they're a tag team and they're being established. Yeah. And And again, with all these, as we say, give them a tag team name and I'll buy into them as a tag team. If you keep calling them Ziggler and Rude, I'm not going to buy into them as a tag team. Even Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura, it's like, think about the bar, right? Like Cesaro and Sheamus, you're like, they did a long storyline. So it made sense that they were together, but they really came together when they were the bar. Now you have Cesaro and Nakamura and I'm fine. You know, I love Shinsuke. I love Cesaro. I wish they were competing for singles titles, but I'm fine with them as a tag team. However, let's establish them as a tag team. Let's get a name. Let's get a singular entrance music and let's start having them win and contend for titles. Otherwise, it just feels like it's two guys thrown together for me. And that's largely what they're doing right now with many tag teams, but especially women's tag teams. Like, there's also no reason, by the way, after all this time, that Miz and Morrison don't have a tag team name. Like, this has been going on, like, for a decade. They should have a name. But I digress. Let's actually talk about Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro because they fought Daniel Bryan and Otis. Bryan was <laughs> Brian was training with Otis and basically humping him. Uh, it was hysterical. Nakamura said he thought it was funny because Brian believed he could win the Royal Rumble. That segment backstage, I was cackling laughing, dude. It's good. I I, I mean, the Otis, Chad Gable, and now you throw in Daniel Bryan stuff. Like, I'm all into it. It it was a little weird to to have the match be Bryan and Otis and and not Gable and Otis because I think there could be something there. But if if Daniel Bryan wants to jump in and give a boost to Otis because that's basically what he's been doing is finding guys he likes and helping them. I'm all for it. And it was funny. I mean, Otis is a, he's a funny dude. And, and each week I'm liking this, this Gable and Otis pairing more and more in the, the matches with Nakamura and, and Cesaro are fun. So yeah, give me more of this. Yeah. So I also, so Daniel Bryan's a writer on SmackDown. I don't know how many people know that. Or I did not I know that. Yeah, if I've mentioned on the show. So he is part of the writing team. I have zero doubt in my mind that he is solely responsible 
for the Chad Gable and Otis storyline. Because it's two guys he knows should get pushed. And it's a storyline that is not only working, but that he's injecting himself into. So it's just like the Drew Gulak thing. Like he made exactly Gulak like, like Drew Gulak. he made Gulak yep. look like a million bucks. Did what he could to help the guy. It's unfortunate he's back to being a twenty four seven guy. But clearly, you can tell when Dan O'Brien likes some guys, and he's going to try to give him some shine. Exactly. So as far as the match goes, Cesaro caught Brian cold flying out of the ring. Dude's insane. Uh, there was also a hysterical cut to commercial where Otis was like charging, and he ended up running into darkness because the screen went black. It was like right out of like a movie or something like that. It was really, really funny. Otis did a great discus clothesline during the match. He later countered Kinshasa into a pancake. Brian got the hot tag and a diving sunset flip for a two. Brian and Nakamura got like three minutes together and it was awesome. I could have watched them for 20. Uh, Cesaro ate a running knee for Nakamura. Brian tapped out Nakamura with the nest lock, like I said. Uh, did I say nest lock? Yes. Uh, I have a nest lock, the yes lock. Uh, um, but I, like I said, I could have seen Brian and Nakamura go for 20 minutes, just them two. I hope that they do that at some point. The face is all celebrated. It looks to me like Gable is now leaning more towards face than he was tweener. Cause if you remember at the beginning, it seemed like he had some ulterior yeah. motives. Uh, it doesn't seem like that anymore, but maybe it still does. I don't know. We'll find that out. Eventually, obviously they're going to split Otis and Gable. I loved this match. I was entertained for as long as it went on. Um, give me more, give me more of it. No, and he, I mean, you talk about Nakamura and Dan O'Brien in the ring. I mean, I thought Otis and Cesaro was really fun too. It was. I mean, I mean Cesaro is a guy who can do anything for anybody and and the, the various suplexes they're doing, just really fun wrestling matches, a fun story around it. Um, I don't, I mean, I want Gable and Otis, like I, I want Gable and Otis to become tag team champs at some point. I, I think they're really fun and they do a lot of really cool things in the ring. I think there's a lot you could do with these guys. They're really establishing a smack uh, SmackDown tag team division. Yep. And you have to give them credit because we were heavily critical of them. But it's just funny because you see it developing on SmackDown. And then you look over at Raw, which has, you know, uh, the roster is basically the same size, but they have a full additional hour of television. They cannot get their tag team division going. So it's pretty disappointing when you juxtapose it between one and the other. Sticking with tag teams, New Day defeats Miz and John Morrison. Raw started with New Day taking over Miz TV. And it was horrendous. New Day wasn't funny. Miz and Morrison were annoying. Zero point zero. Somehow my rant against Goldberg, by the way, was so strong. I didn't use any of these great sound effects that we have to say uh, how bad that was. But I'll at least talk about the rest of the Raw opening, which included this. It was bad. Teddy Long did save the entire thing a little bit, so credit to him. But the first 10 minutes of Raw were mind-numbing. As far as the match, I never felt that it hit second gear. Woods beat Morrison kind of out of nowhere with the Shining Wizard. I like the clean finish, but I kind of hate now how Morrison is taking so many losses. This is a guy who should be getting built up, or at least Miz and Morrison as a tag team should be getting built up. But Morrison takes all these losses because Miz can't because he's the Money in the Bank briefcase holder. These four were the entire first half hour of Raw. It just never ever worked for me. No, nah, I mean, I don't have much to add other than, you know, they've basically been starting off raw with promo and a match. And that takes up the first half hour of the show. It's kind of how they've been doing it. The least last handful of weeks I can remember, but this one just never got going. Didn't really care for it. Again, as we said at the beginning, this was not the kind of thing that was going to keep people 
sticking around for for later in the in the show. So just yep, nah, it's kind of whatever. What do you think about New Day? Because for me, they've become a bit rudderless. They're stuck kind of in a rut without Big E. I think he's the key piece to making that dynamic work. And without him, it almost feels like two guys cosplaying as New Day. Like, I, I don't think that's a fair comment because I love Woods. I love Kofi Kingston. But it's just how it's coming off for me now. It feels like New Day's almost trying very hard to be New Day. And not having Big E there, the entire dynamic, it doesn't really work in the same way. No, I I mean I I have I have felt that way when it's any two groups of the New Day. You know, when Kofi was out for a while or when Xavier was out for a while and they were still doing tag matches, it still felt like somebody was missing because they were such a three-pronged, you know, team here that continuing the same thing without one of those prongs, I don't think is just as interesting. And and you know, I don't maybe I don't know what the merch sales are, I don't know what the quarter, you know, quarter ratings are. Maybe they're fine, maybe they're not. I don't know. I just think I think these guys need to, you know, they lost the titles. I think they need to just kind of not like reboot, but just like kind of head in a little bit of a different direction. They're kind of doing the same things. And it's it just it, right. It doesn't feel right when it's not the same ones. It's not to the same extent, but it's kind of like when the shield broke up. But Roman was still kind of the same thing. Exactly. He was staying as he was the shield guy. He had the shield music. Ambrose and Rollins were off doing their own things and it just kind of felt a little stale for quite a while. Um, so yeah, I just think they need to not completely rebrand as characters, but just kind of take a different um, tone, I think, with them. I, I think that's exactly the way to do it. You don't, you don't make them not New Day. You don't stop them from wearing the colors they wear or any of that type of stuff. But you have them take on a different attitude. Stop being as jovial because you're missing that without Biggie. Maybe become a bit more serious. Maybe even cut a promo saying, look, you know, we came in as the champions. We lost. We're struggling here. Things aren't going our way. We're going to hunker down and we're going to go on a journey right now to regain the tag team championships. And they get a little bit more serious and they eventually work their way into it. They have different types of feuds. They cut different types of promos a little bit. And then yes, one day when they're all reunited again, the New Day returns as New Day. But you could, they can still be New Day. They just need to kind of tweak. And just like the Usos, think about the Usos, yep, I was right? Just gonna, I was just going to bring them up. The Usos, they had the face paint and they were doing, and, and this is different because they turned heel and, and then they got serious. It's very, very different. And I don't think that they're going to want to do that with New Day. But the Usos, they had the face paint. They were away for a while. They eventually came back and they lost the face paint. They started wearing black. They started talking real. And you could feel that there was a difference. Yet they were the same tag team and they were just as good as they always were. I would say 50% of that is what New Day needs to do. And I don't know what exactly the gimmick is, but that's up to them to figure it out. It's up to WWE to figure it out. But right now, New Day without Big E doing the same gimmick, it doesn't work. Uh, AJ Styles defeated Elias also on Raw. So they just ran this match back from last week for no reason. Styles won clean. They didn't need to do it again, but they just had the match again. Elias hit one of Jackson Riker's sit-down choke slams, then countered the phenomenal forearm with a knee for a near fall. Styles came back with a brain buster and hit the Styles Clash for another clean one, two, three. So great. Now he's beaten him twice clean. Like, this is done. We don't need this anymore. Riker came in the ring to try to hit Styles with a guitar after, but almost now pronounced Amos, apparently. 
So Amas kicked the damn thing out of his hands. It was the best part of Raw through the first 50 minutes. We're like nearly an hour into the show. And the best thing was Amas kicking a guitar out of Jackson Riker's hand. That tells you what I thought about the first hour of the show. It was really a sick move. It kind of saved the segment that I didn't otherwise care about. I don't want to see a tag team match. I don't want to see them fight again. My guess is this is just a feud that they're building up so that there's something like going into the Royal Rumble. But man, we're like 25 more days away from the Royal Rumble. I'm kind of done with AJ Styles and Elias. It's fine. Both matches were fine. But to do a rematch for no reason made no sense. Yeah, and this is just kind of the general issue with Raw is that there's just sometimes a lot of matches that are just repeats for no reason. Or And we, we liked last week that they gave us a reason to have the match. And it, it's just there's a lot of times on Raw, there's a lot of segments where you feel like it was just kind of thrown on the page and not thought about, let's do it again. And there's no there's nothing behind it. And it really drags down the whole of the show when you have several segments like that every week. I also like the idea of Elias working with guys who will make him a better wrestler. Like Styles in both these matches brought out the best that we've seen in Elias in the ring in all of WWE, including his time in NXT. So credit for that. And if they want to give him Riddle in the future and do the same thing, I get it. But you got to at least come up with reasons for them to keep fighting. You can't just have the match and make people think like, oh, wait, didn't? Wait, this happened last week, didn't it? And wait, Mm -hmm. Styles won clean. So... Why is this happening again? At least have a challenge backstage. I almost had you last week. Uh, It's not, same thing's not going to happen again. I'm not going to be intimidated by Amos. There was a million things they could have done, but it was just lazy and it was a time filler and it was ridiculous. The only women's singles match of the entire week was Shayna Baszler against Dana Brooke. Baszler, it was supposed to be against Mandy Rose. Baszler attacked Mandy Rose before the match, threw her back and forth between the barricades. So Brooke ran down and took Mandy's spot in the match. She challenged Baszler. Brooke countered the Kirifuda clutch with a folded up type of pinfall. That's the fold up I was talking about to get the one, two, three in like 60 seconds into the match. But Baszler never let go of the submission. So she was on her way to still tapping out Dana Brooke despite losing the match. Rose ran in, broke it up with a V trigger. Then they hit a double flatliner on Baszler for the faces to stand tall. Nia Jax was nowhere to be found. I thought this was fine booking. I keep being pleasantly surprised more and more by Dana Brooke. I didn't love that Shayna Baszler got beaten so quickly, but she's also not newly on Raw anymore. So it feels like, look, anyone can take a win or a loss if they're not in the main event. That's what they did here. But again, I give credit to Dana Brooke. Like Carmella stepped up her game. We talked about it over the last two years. I think we may be seeing the very beginning of Dana Brooke like coming into her own in the ring and credit to her for doing it. Yep, uh, I think she's, you know, the, the the Mandy Dana tag team we were loving because Mandy had just sort of been in a tag team for a long time before, kind of like the iconic situation. But Dana Brooke has come into it and, and carried their own, and they're both kind of doing the fit woman gimmick. So they work, I think, as a tag team. They're the same thing uh, that, that, that they're going for. And yeah, I, I think it was it, it was kind of, Weird how it was set up, but it was, I guess the idea is Dana's stepping up to help Mandy, standing up for Mandy getting the win that continues to make them look good as uh, that they care about each other as a tag team and that they are good as a tag team. So, um, yeah, it was it was good. It's the exact opposite of the Lacey Evans-Peyton Bruce thing. It's they like each other. 
They look, not that tag teams need to look the same, but they, you know, they're both blonde. They're both strong. They're both pretty. Um, so, and uh, you had Asuka coin them the sexy muscle friends, you know, a couple months ago. There, there's momentum. They're dressing alike. It, it makes sense seeing them together. And they seem to work well together and they seem to like being together. So yeah, look, Mandy Rose and even Peyton Royce, they're not such great women wrestlers right now where them being in a tag team is offensive. What was offensive about Peyton Royce is the Iconics were an established tag team. And you split them up without having them split, really. Like you forced the split in storyline. Whereas Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, they had a reason for splitting up. It was a long-term feud where they broke up, they had to split, one got drafted to a different brand. And Mandy Rose, maybe she's not great right away, right now at least, as a single. So you put her in another tag team, it's totally fine. But that's why it's different and that's why this one happens to work. And I really want to see them be the ones to take the titles, if not the Riot Squad. I want to see Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke be the ones to take the titles off Asuka and Charlotte Flair or Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler if they somehow win them back. Whatever they end up doing, they should be a champion sooner than later. I like that. Sticking with the women's tag teams, over on SmackDown, you had the Riot Squad defeat Natalia and Tamina. It looked like Billy Kay would be wrestling with Tamina, but instead she was relegated to kind of like a manager role. The match was only a few minutes and Liv Morgan won with, wait for it, a roll-up. Totally unnecessary in this match. Mm -hmm. Normally I'd shit on that even further. But Billy Kay directed her to do the roll-up and the faces listened. So she celebrated with them and it was a funny moment. Basically, the heels were pushing her away, not listening to her advice. So she started giving advice to the faces. They did listen. So the fact that she was screaming, do a roll-up, do a roll-up, and then she didn't got the win, I thought it was a funny moment, a pretty decent piece of booking, and the Riot Squad continues to win. So all of that was positive for me. Yep, and, and Billy Kay was funny, and like we said, she keeps finding ways to get herself on TV. I mean, this is something that started with nothing, and she kind of turned it into a pre-show thing and then got on to pay-per-view, and now she's getting on TV. The Riot Squad get a win. Um, yeah, it was just, it, it was good, and characters are advancing and continuing to grow, and it's just, it's really fascinating to see where Billy Kay's putting herself compared to, you know, kind of where Peyton Royce is getting put. And, and just kind of looking forgettable. And that's not on her. I think she's just kind of in a tough spot. And and just between SmackDown and Raw, it really, they really feel like two different shows, uh, again, in terms of the opportunities that people are getting. Um, and, and you feel like there's just like, there, there's like support to go out and try something different on SmackDown and, and, and not be, just kind of see if something works and we'll try it. And I just get that sense from SmackDown, which is why, SmackDown won our SmackDown won the, the media, right? For brand of the year, TV show of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. That's why. Uh, now I have to say, cause you did mention it earlier and we are, we've talked about it plenty already on this show, but the stupidest part of breaking up the Iconics, it's actually not just that Peyton's in another tag team. The stupidest part is that Billy is basically now in this non-wrestling comedy support role. Not that she's bad at it. She's great. But she could have done that for Peyton. So they could have said, you guys can't wrestle together anymore. And Billy could have said, okay, Peyton, let's make you into Raw Women's Champion. And done this for Peyton Royce. Been that 
best friend, been that support. But instead, she's on a different show doing it for someone else. That is even stupider if you think about it logistically. Not logistically, from a logic standpoint. Those are two totally different things. Uh, (laughs) It's even stupider from a logic standpoint than just breaking them up and having Peyton tag with someone else. That's what pissed me off. Uh, Angel Garza on New Year's Eve won the 24-7 title. Garza interacted then with Alicia Fox, Mickey James, Sergeant Slaughter, and Tatanka backstage. He failed to give Tori Wilson a rose a bit later. She directed him into a dark room where the boogeyman was hanging out. Garza ran away. R-Truth then rolled him up for the title win, then skipped away with Tori and Nikki Cross in his arms. Then Ron Simmons came up to drop a damn. So, you know, the 24-7 title, we try not to talk about it. I don't really care about the wins and losses. We think it's stupid. This Some of this was decent altogether. Anytime you get Ron Simmons with a damn, that's good. What depresses me is you do all this stuff with Angel Garza. You and I, I think, have largely been in agreement. It hasn't been going anywhere. We kind of want to see him wrestle and like step up and get used. And you use him in the 24-7 title picture. I mean, come on. The only interesting thing that came out of this was the reference to Cardi B on the show that got Angel Garza to walk in to see the boogeyman. And that that got to Cardi B on Twitter. And I don't know if you saw this, but she started tweeting about she started tweeting about wrestling and she was asked if she liked the rock. She said no. She was a edge Batista type. So it was more of the the um Sasha Banks, she uh, said she likes. Yeah, but it was it was the ruthless aggression era is when she got into pro wrestling. And then uh, Trish Trish Stratus uh, quote tweeted Cardi B. Uh, and then Cardi B like flipped out. Like Trish Stratus was quote tweeting her. So it was just kind of funny to see play out on Twitter afterward. And now maybe Cardi B makes some sort of appearance at a WrestleMania or something. Well, like she that. said, she's like, Vince McMahon, get my check ready. I'm I'm going to F in WrestleMania. Yeah, she's yeah, ready yeah. to go. She, she was like, this is not how my like wrestling debut is supposed to be or whatever. So I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it ended up being kind of funny how that played out on Twitter afterward, completely separate from the terrible skit and how bad it was. I yeah. have really nothing else to add on that, but I that, do think that, WWE, I'm sorry. I thought you were done. My fault. No, yep. Yeah, uh, I, I do think WWE incorporating Cardi B is potentially problematic for numerous reasons. Um, but the idea of WWE capitalizing on younger people who like their product and are willing to put it out there in the social landscape and in pop culture is something they have really struggled to do. You have Wale, you have Migos, they both like wrestling. You should be using them. Wale did Biggie's theme. If he has an intercontinental, intercontinental title match at WrestleMania or at the Royal Rumble, Wale should do that theme live. He should be performing. Um, you should do an interview with him about why he felt compelled to make Biggie's entrance music. All those types of things. Utilize people, especially young black people who are really into WWE. That's a demographic that they could probably capture. And instead, they just, I know the social media accounts retweeted her a little bit. The WWE on Fox account, I think, has a little bit more leeway than the corporate account. But man, you got to utilize these people. And I don't think Cardi B, unfortunately, is the best one for them to utilize for numerous reasons uh, that I'm not going to detail. You can go to her Wikipedia page or just Google her name and, and look up and you can figure out why. 
But there's plenty of other uh, people, guys and gals, that they can use, and they really should be. So, yeah, uh, I, I last mean, I, uh, yeah, I just you know, you think about you know when when WWE, and these are not necessarily equivalent things, but when WWE brought in Mike Tyson, you know, if, if this was the Attitude Era, they'd be jumping on Cardi B, and I'm sure doing all all kinds of different types of things. And you know, Mike Tyson was on suspension or whatever it was when when they brought him into WWE at the time. So it's it's not like they haven't. Um, uh, it's not like they've stayed away from people with various, you know, possibly problematic things in, in their background. But um, overall, I think, yeah, run with this, do some things, use Wale in different ways, use Cardi B if she wants to get on, just like do these things to get yourselves in front of different audiences, audiences that used to like your product and don't watch it now like that. That's how you got to get yourself back into pop culture. Yeah, like it, Cardi B could do a Sasha Banks entrance. She could yeah. do you know, uh, a Charlotte entrance. Like there's so many things you could have her do. I just wouldn't use her front and center is what I'm trying to say. I would not make her the host of WrestleMania. Sure. Exactly. That's exactly (laughs) my point. Um, But last thing here, we'll wrap up. We had Hurt Business against Lucha House Party. Uh, Lucha House Party interacted with Melina backstage. They cut a promo and got a tag team match. I feel way better about them over the last two weeks than I have since like November when they had the draft. You remember I was complaining they were like competing for tag team titles and, and Metalik had an IC title match over on SmackDown. Then they got drafted. They're in the 24-7 picture. Well, we've gotten uh, Metalik beating Miz clean last week. Now he just went over to NXT uh, and is now going to challenge Santos Escobar for the Cruiserweight Championship this Wednesday on NXT. And now they just basically beat the freaking Hurt Business on Raw. So that was great. Lindsay Dorado hit a springboard stunner. Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin kept tagging each other in and getting angry. And Dorado eventually flipped Benjamin over, then locked him in the crucifix for the second time on the show to get the win. MVP screamed at both of them for being embarrassing and said they had to get on the same page immediately and work as a team. Alexander walked away. So there's dissension brewing in the ranks. It feels like it's too soon for me for all of that to happen. But hey, we'll see what they end up doing, right? Uh, largely, this was a success for Lucha House Party. It gives her business an interesting storyline and her business is booming. It still is, even despite the loss here. Yeah, I I thought it was, again, it was like, it was fine in the context of what the match was and the way it was set up. It was just weird again on the show, having the men's and women's tag champs pinned and the US champion pinned. And that's like, oh, you pinned the champ. It's like, it's like become such a trope that like, as soon as it happens, I'm right there waiting for Tom Phillips or Michael Cole to say, so-and-so has pinned the champion. And it's like the first thing that comes out of their mouth every time it happens. And it's just uh, on the context of that happening so many times on the show, it was weird and annoying. But in this, if you want to just talk about just a specific instance, yeah, it was, it was, they, they continued to tease the dissension. Lucha, Lucha House Party got good. I, the, the backstage promo, I think, was kind of funny and, and, and worked as well. So it was a good setup, I think, leading into the match. And yeah. For sure. So that was our breakdown of WWE SmackDown and WWE Raw. We start the new year, Chris, similar to how we ended 2020. Uh, we thought Raw might be making strides, but I think coming out of this Monday night show, it's pretty much been proven that's not the case. SmackDown Clearly, not just the A show, but the better show, the more entertaining show, the show 
where I feel if I sit down and give WWE my two hours on a Friday night or on my DVR, it will be worthwhile. Whereas with Raw, there was probably one hour of good content on a three-hour show. And unfortunately, with the Royal Rumble coming up and WrestleMania season not far down the road, I don't really think that's going to be changing anytime soon. No, I, I mean, me too. I mean, well, we'll see. Now that they, since it's not a Legends night and they don't need to shoehorn a bunch of people in, uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. I think Except Raw fucking had, Goldberg who we still have to deal with. That's true. But like Raw had been like, Decent. This was, I think, the worst Raw in quite some time. I don't think it's That's a coincidence true. that it was the Legends night and they just kind of stopped a lot of things in their tracks to do it. So we'll see. I mean, not like I said, now we start the, the, the path to the Royal Rumble or whatever we want to call it. Now, now the journey we'll to the Royal Rumble. The journey. I mean, I was trying to think something else with an R. The route? The route to the, the route. Rumble? Yes. The route yes. to the Rumble. There you go. Um, so now we'll get into, you know, I thought they did a decent job building a couple things up the last few weeks. We built to this McIntyre Keith Lee match and they did it. Now we get onto the rumble and now they can focus on like, now these are like the feuds that are going to take us eventually kind of into WrestleMania. So there's can't be any more just kind of, you know, dicking around or whatever. Like we, we got to, now things need to shift into gear starting next week. Uh, again, without Monday night football, this is the time when you need to be putting forward your best but stuff. That's my concern because right now I look at it with the Goldberg stuff and it's like, well, is this a is this a holdover to get us through the Royal Rumble? And either the winner of the Rumble or they're going to do an elimination chamber number one contender, that person's going to fight McIntyre? Or is Goldberg part of the WrestleMania plans? And is that why they're bringing him in now to do a build for the Royal Rumble? That is exactly my concern. We'll have to see how it plays out. But... You're you're largely correct in that Raw had been mediocre to disappointing, but it hadn't really legitimately been bad in a long time. This Raw, despite the main event legitimately being great and a couple other things on it being good to okay, largely for the three hours was bad from the H-Phone to Goldberg. So that is how we're going to wrap up the first episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast for 2021. If you are a first-time listener, we're generally not this negative, but WWE brought it out of us this week. We do have a long week of wrestling ahead. On Wednesday, you are going to get a very special short episode from the Silver King reviewing NJPW Wrestle Kingdom 15. Both nights, one episode. I aim to keep it short. I have not watched any of it yet. As we tape this, I'm going to do a full binge session on Tuesday, starting now through the end of the night. So I can do that Wednesday episode for you. And then we will be back again on Thursday to break down everything that happens from NXT New Year's Evil and AEW New Year's Smash. It is going to be an incredible Wednesday night of wrestling. I am so looking forward to watching it and so looking forward to speaking with all of you about it on Thursday. So with that, the Silver King will say goodbye for Chris Vanini. Of course, saying goodbye for myself. And we cannot start the year, despite this being a long episode, without someone else saying goodbye to you. Oh,
And thank you all for listening. I will speak to you again on Wednesday and Thursday. Bye for now.